It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from Cinema Sins. Joined as always by the voice of Cinema Sins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Bonjour, comment allez-vous? Ooh, yeah, I like French. that. That's oui. some really good French, man. Oui. That, that was too. That was to our French viewers, basically. Merci when I was That's in right. middle school, my uh, friend took French and I took Spanish, and he taught me moi aussi a cinema, which means me too, comma the theater. Nice. <laughs> I had all my friends in other four language classes teach me gibberish sentences in their language. It was fun. Well, and I took four years of French, and then when I went to Paris, I was instantly humbled. So, oh, <laughs> you know. I didn't know you went to Paris. Yeah. Oh, was, you did in high school. Yeah, I was like, it was twenty years ago. All right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, today we're going to be talking about the year two thousand four. You sly dog! You got me monologuing. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot. Change your heart. Expecto Patronum! But if I can't find her? It's easy. She's standing right next to you. Stop trying to make fetch happen. That's called a montage. The hippies finally got something right. <laughs> Just kidding. But not really. Afternoon delight. Which has a, a lot of pretty great movies in yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I'm actually very interested to see what we'll be coming up with on this yeah, one. Yeah, it's great in that there's a lot of quality, but mm. making my choice was hard. Yeah. But by, by the way, one thing that I want to uh, point out, we have been in the past coming up with, you know, if the movie says the IMDb, it came out this year, we'll just go ahead and do it and whatever. I'm going to make an exception for Crash this time. Okay. Crash won Best Picture in 2005. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about Crash today. So. Oh, good. So no Crash good. in 2004. I, did not, I was not looking forward to talking about Crash yeah, in the first place. Has a uh, movie ever been so loved and hated so quickly? <laughs> like, yeah. It's got good reviews. I, I liked it okay. Mm. It won Best Picture, and then that soured everybody on it, because yeah. it's not Best Picture worthy, right? and so now it's a piece of shit. Yeah, I, I liked Crash quite a bit, but anyway, we'll get to that next week, yeah. um, but uh, what do we want to talk about here? I think the I think we can sort of st start with like a hodgepodge here. A lot of these big sequels came out. Shrek 2, mm. Spider-Man 2. We'll talk about those two right off the bat here. Shrek 2 was the number one movie Fuck of, that. of wow. 2004. And it led to the... It's. I really... I, I've never been a big DreamWorks animation person. And uh, Shrek 2 was just more of the same for me as far as that's concerned. They came out with an even worse one called Shark Tale later on in the year, which I don't. We don't even need to talk about that. Uh, but it just shows how much Shrek sort of invaded our consciousness uh, yeah. back then. Yeah, it was the. I think what it was was that irreverence, right? Like, I I looked down on Shrek for all the fart jokes and body humor jokes and whatnot, but that was a clear distinction that was different than what Pixar was giving us. And then you know you roll in that Shrek was really the first one to kind of play with all these fairy tales in the same universe and just kind of dance around the stories that you used to know about them. Um, and I think that was something that stuck with people. Obviously, yeah. we got four of these things with a fifth on the way. Is it just me or is the big difference between like the, the bedrock of Toy Story, the franchise and Pixar versus the bedrock of DreamWorks and Trek 
is that the big difference is like heart yeah. in the movies. Very much so. Because Toy Story movies are hilarious. Yeah. But they resonate like emotionally where the Shrek movies are entertaining to a lot of people, but they don't have that like emotional connectivity. Yeah, they're in and out, man. It's yeah. just, it, you got some funny stuff in there and then, you know, I mean, and they try, they tried a little heart in these movies, but that's not the point of those. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the all, you know, it, it's nothing that Pixar does. And it was, we're talking about details and stuff like that. I believe it was last week. Yeah. They don't really in make their, they don't put their world's, in motion or anything right. it's all what's on the screen and nothing sort of creeping on the edges or anything like that it's just everything is their script and let's go for it yeah well we are going to talk about spider-man 2 in just a second because now i want to talk about incredibles having just uh, talked about yeah pixar and the way they build their world and incredibles came out this year mm-hmm. uh it's my favorite pixar film and i have argued it could be the best superhero movie ever made yeah and i yeah. think that's still a valid argument I still think Spider-Man 2 is in the top five of that discussion. I do, too. Uh, but Incredibles is another another place. Just like Finding Nemo, you were saying last week, and it's not just the side characters, but man, the world building here is mm-hmm. so... It's like divine. It's like it's like a living painting. Every little bit that you see, like the guy who sues, and you see the old-timey, oh, Mr. Sansweet didn't want to be saved. He didn't ask to be saved. Like, <laughs> and then, uh, I mean, they just... You're right. The way you phrased it just now is perfect. DreamWorks is just, they want you to see what's right in front of you. And they don't, they don't really put the rest of that world in motion. And The Incredibles is maybe even a better example of that than Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. Uh, because everywhere you look, there's personality uh, just bursting forth. I mean, one of the most famous scenes from that movie is this throwaway scene of Samuel L. Jackson bickering with his wife about where his super suit is. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he can't find it. Um, I love this movie so much. Um I don't know what else I can say that I haven't said in the past or on that since video, but uh, Incredibles is incredible. Yeah, it's a, it was one of the first ones that I remember being absolutely gorgeous, too. Yeah, like yeah. The, the, the Pixar before had been good. It always was a little off-putting, like too shiny, yeah. maybe a little bit. This one, with all the little reds and yellows yeah. and everything that they throw in, into, into the Incredibles... Uh, it, you start seeing a new kind of like philosophy going on. And yeah. this is a mid period here. That's the best of Pixar. Yeah. It starts off a huge, like um, I thought at some point we were going to see a Pixar movie that might've even been PG 13 or R rated mm. or something like that, because they were making stories that were, that had a lot of adult themes in it yeah. and all that. Incredibles doesn't quite touch that, but like, you know all the stuff that's launched off of this wally and up wally up all that you just start it starts becoming very more a little bit more adult oriented even though it was still for kids and everything like that i thought they might have like a whole other wing called you know pixar edge or something <laughs> like that adults. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh, animation still holds up though it's like yeah. some of the best that none of it's dated no it no. looks gorgeous you go back today. and watch that first toy story and that looks a little dated right uh-huh. based but incredibles doesn't do that for me yeah um and this is a lot of this might be brad bird um but this movie is great at giving you laughs without doing it on dialogue right like that whole mm-hmm. scene where elastigirl is breaking in yeah. to the volcano and gets a leg stuck in one door and gets a torso stuck in another door um i love that shit again that that probably brad bird you see that kind of stuff in mission impossible ghost protocol Mm -hmm. and uh so on but uh and also we should note that it was just announced yesterday that incredibles 2 has been moved forward yeah it's gonna come out in 2018 now whereas toy story 4 was moved back yes which hopefully might mean permanently 
I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that I need a Toy <laughs> I don't Story. Know, I don't know if the I don't I don't I, you know you go to Disney and you say something like permanently involving Toy Story four. Are they? Somebody, somebody, yeah, yeah. Don't. Uh, is there somebody about to jump out the window here? Don't. Uh, don't what that. a great year for superhero movies, though, because we get The Incredibles and we get Spider Man Two, which mm-hmm. still holds up really well. Yeah, I just saw it like a week ago. Um, it's the best of the Spider-Man movies, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, still top five Easily. until that Dark Knight comes along. Um, this was, at the time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is the apex. We yeah. finally made it. What makes this? Is it Alfred Molina's more three-dimensional villain? What, what, what makes this so much better? Than, because Is it because we're, we're already used to, we're accustomed to this universe that Sam Raimi created, which we were talking about, is, was so unique at the time? Uh, Toby Maguire is is great and everything. We don't have to go through the whole Uncle Ben yeah, baggage and all it. that stuff. Is is that kind of where we can really focus on like the central conflict? It's what the same so... thing as Dark Knight. But yeah. Batman Begins laid the world and it was really solid. But mm-hmm. now that we've done that, we can go to new heights because we don't have to waste time in the second film establishing any of this universe. I do think Alfred Molina's performance is a big part of why that movie is good. Um, and the Spider-Man movies always did that, though. The, the, the villain was always sympathetic, somebody that you could, at, at least at the end of the first one. Yeah. But in the third one, Sandman <laughs> is basically half evil, half good yeah. the whole th- whole time. Uh, but the action set pieces, that subway chase where oh, yeah. he and Doc Ock go at it, uh, there's a lot of meat here for superhero fans, I think. Yeah, for me, it's it's Sam Raimi sort of uh, allow it sort of unleashed on a big studio picture. Uh, the scene where they're operating on Doc Ock oh, and God. he gets to do his Evil Dead type stuff, <laughs> and it's something you never see in a big studio. That's where I was officially on board with the movie was that because he was able to do so many things. You know, the close up of the chainsaw and the, <laughs> you know the 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 little trailing shot of the one of the octopus tentacles and everything. <laughs> you know, all those t- type of things make a movie really fun to watch. And he does a lot of that, like you know that quick zoom thing. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, especially during that, uh, the scene where he shows up out of nowhere while, uh, you know, they're in the cafe and yeah, everything, yeah. And, you know, they do a lot of that, <laughs> you know, and it's like the close-ups really clean. Cool, you know? Um, I think this is where just Sam Raimi was allowed to do his thing. And I think that's the reason why it's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this also is one of my favorite moments and I don't even know how to call it, what, what kind of moment to call this, but early in the film when. Peter's slacking because he's Spider-Man, right? And his professor's bitching him out and he lost his pizza job. And he does get this interview with Dr. Octavius to do his paper that's like four months late, by the way. And (laughs) he meets Octavius and Octavius, the first thing he says is, well, he tells me you're brilliant, but lazy. And it kind of unsettles Peter, of course. And then at the very end, when Spider-Man takes off his mask at the climax, he repeats it. And Doc Ock goes, brilliant but lazy and <laughs> it has this realization to it where now he gets it at such a great delivery in that line i love it so much yeah um so uh another huge movie that came out in this year and uh, of course uh, is a cultural lightning rod is passion of the christ mm. which uh i believe um is the uh, is the number one r-rated movie domestically of all time okay. like deadpool's passed it internationally and everything but uh but yeah, this was uh, a sort of a master stroke of marketing. Oh, geez. Because yeah. it sort of, okay, first off, it takes the story of the Bible, basically, of the New Testament, if you really just, you know, you don't think the New Testament is anything, but it takes the story 
And it basically says, here is the suffering as Jesus Christ actually suffered and everything. And by the way, you're not a real Christian if you don't go watch this movie. It's pretty much what the marketing yeah. Well, that's that's both funny and true, but they actually did do a never-before-done genius thing where Mel Gibson was taking this movie to directly to churches. Mm-hmm. He was traveling around the country, showing it to groups of pastors who would be moved by it, go back, and then their entire congregations were buying tickets. Like, yeah. their churches were renting theaters out to go watch this together like a church service. Yeah, that was the main thing, was that the whole, after he did all of that, you had all these people, you know, like, okay, so now you got theaters rented out and everything. And and the just the very idea that it's selling out is en- enough word of mouth for a lot of movies to just keep yep. going after yep. that. Um a lot of religious movies have tried this model of do you want to rent out a theater and all this other type of stuff, but they haven't quite done it. They don't they either don't have the story that this is right. or they don't have the they didn't they didn't treat it with the same kind of weight that Mel Gibson did with this one. A lot of weight there. There is a lot of <laughs> weight. Um I'm not I'm not uh I don't know if this movie is good or not. I've watched it one time. I I don't think that I liked it <laughs> particularly much. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a thing. What else can you say about that movie? Yeah. It's it's so hard to watch, it right? It is. That's it, the like, point. Like if you if you just if you make this movie not about Christ and it's <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. it's Uma Thurman. <laughs> do we do we look at it like, oh, that's a great movie? Yeah, it's about Barabbas of, or something. A lot of torture and going on there. Well, that's the thing, right? Is that the film is inextricably tied to faith, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can't, if you come from the outside and try and watch it as a film, like a film reviewer, you can't really do that. If, at least if you're not having some understanding of the story or some Christianity in your blood or something, right? And and I've actually had a lot of discussions with people about this that, I mean, this was a religious experience to mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, it was heavy for a lot of people because it was the first time they'd ever seen visuals that were visceral around the crucifixion, right? Mm-hmm. Most you ever yeah. see in a church or in a Bible or anywhere where religious paintings are, you might see Jesus on a cross. You're not seeing his back literally torn to shreds from a whip. Yeah. Right? And so for a lot of people who went into this movie uh, as people of faith, um, it was it was it was more than just a movie. Yeah, it's, it's, it was. It's really hard to, to like you said, I, I don't know if I liked it or not. Yeah. I, I viewed it as half movie, half church service. And yeah, it didn't really work for me on either level. Yeah, it, Mel Gibson has always had that. Now, now Gibson is, I think, and uh, we and we're forgetting we're we're gonna uh, obviously just like Woody Allen and all these other people that have had mm. you know uh, checkered pasts to say the least or whatever. When we look at him as a director, I think he's generally underrated. Although this Hacksaw Ridge movie is probably gonna push him to you know these new heights. Uh, uh, who knows? I mean, back to Braveheart levels, probably. Yeah, like I, I wonder if this is the re- really the return of Mel Gibson, or they're like, 
well, we'll let you do one every once in a while, but we're still not ready to put you back in Lethal Weapon 6 or yeah, something like that. I've been on the bandwagon for a while that it's time to forgive Mel and let him have another shot because he's got so much talent. And we've forgiven so many other assholes in Hollywood who didn't say something racist, but, but you know, well, killed someone or yeah. raped someone. Yeah. And well, we're going to keep nominating them for awards. Well, that's the point, isn't it? Like, if you're going to keep giving those people uh, chances after chance, you know, whatever, then... Somebody who says something as, and he said some horrible fucking he did. shit. I'm not defending what he, he said, said. He said some really horrible yeah. shit. I don't want to get you know twisted here, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, even Downey, who like was you know was as much into drugs as any actor that we can possibly like come up with on the like the guy just kept on like through the '90s was like always in trouble for that. It yeah. seemed like, and they kept propping him up. Yeah. They got him out of prison to shoot that fugitive sequel yeah. he was serving time oh, and hollywood yeah. the studio went and got a judge to grant permission for him to leave prison and come shoot this movie <laughs> yeah and, and and downey always remembered like you know mel gibson gave him a break with air america yep. and all this other stuff and he's i think he's even said i'd do iron man 4 if you got mel gibson yeah he did say that because he, he's you know he's like look you know you gotta give somebody a chance every once in a while the problem is i think drugs are always their problem and then if you say something it's always well that's always a part of you. That's, so that, that's a personality characteristic. Yeah. Is how it gets. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not defending him. I'm not judging people who are angry at what he said, but that Hollywood's thing is after we punish you for a while, we'll give you another chance and pretend like that never happened. And Mel's like the first guy to come along that hasn't gotten that chance. It seemed like it went on way too long between yeah. Apocalypto and this. Yeah. Well, he didn't help himself because he kept saying bad stuff after he <laughs> got in trouble. So, I mean, it's one of those things like, I don't, I don't necessarily blame him that he, but you're right. I mean, these people keep getting chances. So that's the ultimate point. But anyway, Passion of the Christ. Yeah. Was uh, that the best movie but, Satan ever? I don't remember the Satan. Was it the snake? He was, no, he was in the, the garden. No, I don't remember. Man, probably not, because I can't remember. <laughs> the yeah. only thing I, the thing I remember most about The Passion of the Christ is that Jim Caviezel was struck by lightning twice while making that. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah. that almost makes me believe there's a God. <laughs> because math doesn't explain of course, that. Of course, the cynicism in me tells me that's a story they made up for, you know. But I, the thing I was trying to get to, though, is that Mel Gibson likes to make these, like, super he's like really into torture a lot yeah. like like his brave heart he's is just a lot of torture uh passion of the christ is of course in lethal weapon he's always like hanging from something getting shocked <laughs> you know there's something that uh, intentionally throwing his shoulder out of location <laughs> yeah it's something that south park you know made light of in the uh episode called the passion of the jew yeah uh, <laughs> that uh that he that he was you know he's just crazy and that he likes to get tortured and he likes torture but uh, that's basically what that movie is yeah it really is but it's anyway it's torture. All right. What else, guys? <laughs> How about Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind? Ooh, such a good movie. Good movie. So this is the last movie before this guy lost me. Charlie Kaufman? This is Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Because everything he's done since then has looked intriguing and off-putting all at once to me. This is so relatable. It's a love story that's so skewed. And visually, it's Michael Gondry who did a bunch of music yeah, videos. Yeah, Michel Gondry, yeah. Uh, Michel Gondry. Yeah. And man, I... It's it's so gorgeous to watch, and the narrative, as as skewed as it is, makes perfect sense. Um, and Jim Carrey, man, like you can't do more of a one eighty from Bruce Almighty to this 
that he did. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's incredible. It's, it's a great performance. He, it is. He threw himself into that role, yeah. and, and once again, didn't get nominated. Yeah, and it's a heartbreaking movie at times. Oh yeah, man. It's like because this relationship was not really very healthy. No, right? no, and, no. That's what's so great and about. We're it. mourning the loss of this relationship that was really pretty foul yeah um, as it's slowly being erased from his mind it's such a great way to do that because once he gets to a part because he's like you know okay this can go this can go and then he gets to that part where it's like the part around where he says he's truly happy and he's like no don't take that one yeah don't take that one you yeah. know hold on one second yeah. and then it starts you know unraveling on him and then when when she says when they're sitting on the thing and they says this is it this is the last bit of me Man, that that is pretty devastating. It yeah. is. Yeah. It is. Uh, just visually wonderful film to look at. Uh, it's not glossy, uh, no. but I would call it gorgeous. Uh, especially some of those shots where they're in places where their memories were, and those places start disintegrating, like that oh, beach house. Yeah. Uh, visually, I'd never seen anything like that. And if you tried to pitch me this movie, I wouldn't have believed it could be shot. Uh, but he found a way. I really love it. I mm. thought long and hard about making this my number one choice. Yeah. Yeah. This movie didn't make very much money when it came out. Uh, but anybody, almost everybody that I know, you run into and talk about this movie, they love it so much. Yeah. It's gotten a, it's gotten a tremendous life after it, it came out of theater. Great cast, too. Yeah. Right? Well, Mark Ruffalo and Elijah Wood and Kirsten <laughs> Dunst and Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. The uh, other thing, I talk a lot about accents on this podcast, but Kate Winslet's American accent accent in this movie is perfect yeah it's, it's really good now tom wilkinson you can hear some of it like yeah. coming through every once in a while but kate winslet man she fucking nails I this. can't get on board with that blue hair though well it's only for part of the movie <laughs> <laughs> she's tangerine uh but yeah this is an excellent this is a really great movie mm. um and i think it's made several like best of the decade uh oh really type of list too i think it should, I think it should yeah that. um but uh, yeah, I really enjoy that one. Another one that came out and is uh, is Mean Girls. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I maybe I love this movie more than most people. I don't know. I love no. it. I I don't know what. I, it seems like I ran into a lot of people who were like, "Eh, it was okay." Man, I think it redefined high school comedies. Yep. Until Easy A came out and and did it again. For a decade there, it was the pinnacle of what you could do with that kind of high school well, romantic comedy thing. And you have a you have a connection here because Mark Waters directed Mean Girls and Daniel Waters wrote Heather's. Oh, uh, so they're that's sort of the sort of that sort of that same DNA in this one. Although Tina Fey, I was say, wrote, Tina Fey wrote this. One. Tina Fey wrote this movie, and I don't know if she's written anything straight up like this since. Like almost every one of her vehicles after this has been written by another person and i wish she would write more of her own movies yeah. because she's fan this is fantastic this is great dialogue this is something that i didn't kind of like how clueless was in 1995 yeah. i didn't think i was gonna like this at all and then came in afterwards just like this is this is so funny this is so yeah. good Tim meadows every Tim meadows time he's great. on screen <laughs> makes me cry laughing yeah he's hysterical in this yeah movie. oh he's he's fantastic and uh it also introduced introduced us to Lizzie Kaplan too. Yeah. who's was a great actress, and uh, and and Rachel McAdams was like her first big one. Yep. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 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 such a I mean, it's just such a funny movie all the way throughout. And like, I think that's sort of the beginning of the I know right. 
because uh, <laughs> because they start they sort of make fun of that in this but it became a phrase because of yeah. it, really. <laughs> you know so a lot of people were like i know right and that's where you started hearing that so many times this this really shows you the potential that Lindsay lohan had yeah and that she had never really yeah that she never tense. really she didn't capitalize on this no. afterwards no I, I mean she she had the celebrity but she didn't capitalize she was a better than average actor as a child actor mm-hmm. when she did the parent trap which my wife loves and watches regularly she's pretty good in that mm-hmm. um and then this was her first kind of even though it's a high school movie adult role hit film she's really good in it yeah oh yeah um so yeah that's one of those derailed trains i don't understand how it happened because yeah. it seemed to be everything lining up the right direction mm-hmm. i was just looking at tina fey's uh, writing and like yeah this is her main big movie that she wrote now to be honest she was very very busy with saturday night live mm. 30 rock and the unbreakable kimmy schmidt which is another great show it's mm. on netflix but, you know, I, I wish she would just write another movie. I mean, yeah. it's, this was a home run. Maybe she's maybe she's like, well, I hit a home run. <laughs> That's it. That's a, you know. well, I'm not- she was the head writer at SNL. I think writing is in her blood. I mm-hmm. just think you're. she's too busy with other stuff. She's probably like a lot of actresses or actors her stature. She probably has a production company mm-hmm. where she's serving as a producer on films. I know American Express has her super busy making all those yeah. fucking commercials. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Mean Girls is great. Yeah. Um, another movie that came out, and we don't usually go too much in depth about sequels, but I do believe Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is worth oh, yeah. talking about here. This is Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. which I'm probably mispronouncing in some way, but um but uh-huh. you have yeah, exactly. <laughs> um but uh, you have this is a guy, I mean, you got they got like a top shelf guy to do this, and it and it shows all the way through this movie, the book itself, I don't think is considered one of the better books, but I consider this one of the better movies yeah. because of him. Yeah. It's got, it's got a great mood mm-hmm. that the first two don't have yeah. because they're more kid friendly and the visual aesthetic, he g- brings this slightly more adult story. Um, kids are maybe starting to fall in love now mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Uh, I do agree with you. I think Order of the Phoenix, then this one for me. Yeah, yeah. Order of the Phoenix is definitely my favorite one. And I like Goblet of Fire way more than I should, so I can't wait to talk about that. <laughs> well, and this is this is where they're starting to get shaggy and where they're starting yeah. to have like normal... You can see them aging. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're kind of let loose a little bit. And you can tell from the direction that, that he's letting them do that. You can see it a little bit in the book. And then it introduces Sirius Black, Gary Oldman's character for the first yeah. time. Uh, it, it's done so great. Like where you see that that uh, that front page of the of the paper there, and he's in there screaming yeah. and everything. The, the, the way it ends up is just so great. And he became a great part of that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as as the father figure and as the guiding force and everything. And just the way he's introduced is terrific. Yeah, because like the whole whole movie, you don't know he's good. Yeah, you're expecting him to be bad. Yeah, I mean his name is Sirius Black. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they. Yeah, this is that was a really good like you know if you want to you want to go back to the source material, J.K. Rowling did a pretty good like <laughs> you know up. cover up there because yeah normally a name like Sirius Black you're like okay come on yeah yeah all right I, I get you he's evil but and, I mean he also but also he comes from the family that doesn't like Muggles and all yeah. this other type of stuff and is like so yeah it is a big surprise to find out that although i think during reading it i was kind of like oh he's probably good yeah i was saying yeah. something was tipped off by it i don't know what it was well and she- as preposterous as the time travel is <laughs> yes to, to only be here in this one story and then never return <laughs> yeah that reveal 
the second time through when instead of it being his dad that saved him, he realizes it was him. Yeah. yeah. Is I'm getting goosebumps just thinking yeah. about it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of a lot of movies have that young hero who has to learn his power or what have you. And this is just one of those the best moments of that I've ever seen where he kind of because this kicks him forward. Oh, yeah. I've gone on record as saying Harry Potter may be the most worthless wizard in the entire series <laughs> of Harry Potter <laughs> movies because it's always Hermione saving the day. But, um, you know, this empowers him. Like, oh, I can do that. Holy shit. Yeah. He thought it was his dad because uh, he never even thought it could be him or somebody his age. Yeah. yeah no. And that Patronus effect, like visually, just I mean, yeah. this movie is so beautiful. Yeah. It's, a, it's um, amazing that they got all these movies to be at least watchable. Every yeah, yeah, single yeah, yeah. one of them. I mean, and and a lot of them transcend that. They're actually very good movies and everything. Mm. So, you know, they did eight of them, and they're all good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else, guys? Sideways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sideways. <laughs> this is a movie I missed in the theater. I did not watch during its awards season like I usually try and do with movies I've missed. And I just found it on HBO two, three years later. Never had an interest in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it was the wine thing. Now... Today, I'm a big wine fan, but <laughs> 10 years ago, I didn't give a shit about wine. I didn't know anything about wine, and this movie didn't look like it was made for me. Holy shit, was I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Way before I ever got into wine, I became obsessed with this movie. I've probably seen it 25 or 30 times. Yeah, Alexander Payne coming mm-hmm. back, and he's really, I don't know if he's ever made a bad movie. He's made maybe something that you're like, eh, kind of, whatever. But this one's really, really good, and um, Paul Giamatti, once again, not nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, and, like, and every bit as deserving as any role he's ever done. Absolutely. He carries this movie. Like two years in a row, he's got American Splendor and he's got this, and and then it takes fucking Cinderella Man before he finally gets a nomination. <laughs> and his only nomination. I, I guess is it because Thomas Hayden Church was nominated. Thomas right? Hayden Church and Virginia Madsen were yeah, nominated. For so wow, I that's guess a crime. Like, They're both good. But yeah. Paul, this is Paul Giamatti's movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It I know. is. It is, but Thomas Hayden Church is freaking amazing in this too especially coming from Lowell from wings <laughs> yeah, to show yeah. this step when he breaks down he's like Miles, you can't do it yeah. <laughs> and i mean because his stature and just the way he is i man, love it's hilarious. and i love the he's trying to get him laid in this movie and he's like you need to get your joint worked off <laughs> yeah he says a bunch of crass shit um again i'd like to talk about the hilarious car crash in this movie yes because uh Thomas Hayden Church is about to get married, but he's fooling around this whole wine week trip and gets caught by the girl he's fooling around with. She beats his face in with a motorcycle helmet. And so he decides to explain to my fiance what happened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say it was a car accident. They actually discussed that earlier. Paul Giamatti gives him that idea. And then they're driving home and he's basically begging Giamatti to let him drive while they're filling up with gas and Giamatti's like no I got it it." and he's like I really like to drive he's like okay he goes like a mile down the road hard lefts into a field and drives directly into a tree and Giamatti's like what the fuck he's so shocked and then we finally get to we we cut so we don't actually see the whole conversation but somehow Thomas Hayden Church has convinced Paul Giamatti to do it again because this wreck didn't look like somebody got hurt 
that bad. So he revs the engine with a cinder block and steps out of the way. The car's like 15 feet away from this tree, but it just curves to the right, misses the tree 100 yards further, hits a fence and goes into a ditch. And every time I see it, I know exactly what's coming. I just cackle my ass off. So good. Uh, and and it's uh, and, and another one that's kind of relatable, too, because he is a he's a did he have a book published? No. Nope. OK, so his book he's trying to publish yep. during this. He's not like Michael Douglas and Wonder Boys where he's got no, like, he's never been published. Um, in fact, this is the one he says, I thought this was the one. Mm hmm. Uh, and there's a crushing scene when he's at the wine tasting place and he calls his agent and she tells him it's not going to happen. There's no market for this book. Yeah. <laughs> he goes in and ultimately drinks the spit bucket, yeah. Yeah, which is disgusting. But yeah, he had never been published before, but he's about to be is what he thinks. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this is a fantastic movie. And it's got a lot of that, you know, uh, I love that like double meaning type of dialogue, especially with the Virginia Madsen stuff uh, with him. And they have that. That oh, really nice. Pino. They're talking. They're talking about how, like, you know, you you say, you know, you keep it waiting and waiting and waiting, and then when you finally pop it open, it tastes so fucking good. And you're like, he's like, looks at Virginia Madsen, like, <laughs> okay, it's on, it's fucking on now. Yeah. <laughs> Only for that evening, it was not on. Yeah. Uh -huh. Kisses yeah. her in the kitchen, gets <laughs> yeah, turned down. Exactly. Yeah. Sleep with her for another couple days. Right. Yeah. Right. Now he's it, it, the way he goes from socially inept to. When he's talking about wine, oh, I love that. He's scene. just he his eyes light up, yeah. And he's just totally in, and he speaks like a normal person. Well, and you know? she's like, "Why? Well, you got to tell me what's up with the Pinot?" Because he basically is obsessed with Pinot Noir, mm -hmm. which is basically what I drink. <laughs> um, and he he when he talks about how hard it is to grow this grape, and you know, it's not it's not a survivor, yeah, like, like Cabernet or Merlot, where you can just grow that shit anywhere. It has to be in a specific place. It needs just enough coolness and just enough moisture and yeah. the passion comes through yeah. uh in space basically the only time in the whole movie he lights up is when mm. he's talking about wine yeah yeah um also in 2004 sean of the dead yeah. came out uh, man this is this uh introduced us to edgar wright i'm sure that God. everybody across the uh, the pond there knew his uh <laughs> you know why i said it that way i hate it when people say that <laughs> oh, uh, man. and you know across the pond um but no uh they were familiar with his work before then i think in some tv series and stuff like that but uh we know him more as a movie director and this is a great great like opening uh shot for him oh geez. it's it's not it's not a spoof movie no this is how you're supposed to do a lovingly parodic representation of a genre. Yeah. It's it's turning it on its head. It's shooting it in ways that, that are different. Uh, it's referencing the source material and stuff like that and doing it with love and with just fun. Like the yeah. whole movie is fun, even though it's about zombies. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's the same exact thing Edgar Wright does with Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Like, yep. He, he's paying homage to and roasting this genre of cop movies that's my preference of all of his films is mm -hmm. hot fuzz but shawn of the dead is a pretty close second for me yeah i'm the same way about hot fuzz but like i mean yeah this is this is a you don't see comedies made this way where you know the it's a lot of like fun editing and fun camera moves and yeah, all these yeah, little yeah. things that he comes together on 
especially when he's doing that whole like we're gonna do this and this and this and this and yeah. then we're gonna have a drink at the the you know the the winchester or whatever yeah, yeah. at the end and everything and everything ends with him like it's a happy ending you know <laughs> drinking a beer you know you're going uh, to the pub yeah. <laughs> yeah and i love also the fact that uh you know that whole thing that he says like he like all the bar names i believe are things that they actually interact with later on like we will have a bloody mary or whatever like that and like they end up there's a person named mary that is bloody you know and there's like all these different things that you know and there's people out there who know this probably by heart but all that stuff that he goes through is you know some of the things that he says are things that they actually run into into the movie oh man and of course it's got a great scene where they're throwing records at zombies yeah 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 (laughs) like don't throw the prince out which one is it it's batman soundtrack and they are and they are totally missing they can't hit anything with those records everything's like spiraling off and everything <laughs> and it, and and you realize how useless they are anyway, even yeah. if they hit them, you know. Um, but yeah, this is such a uh, this is such a funny movie. But yeah, Hot Fuzz, I can't I can't wait till we talk about that because that's uh, I think that's his best one. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big comedy that came out, uh, actually two big comedies came out. Anchorman, yeah, which I did not like when I first watched. Uh, yeah, uh, and it, I think it always comes down to when you're by yourself in a theater watching a movie like this, you're just like not you know. A lot so of times you didn't you, like it when you were by yourself, but then when you were with other people, you liked it? Yeah. Well, I think more it was about people starting to quote this movie all around me. And I'm just sitting there going, wait a minute, was there really that many funny things in this movie? And then I went back and watched it and I was like, oh, okay, I can kind of see what they're going yeah, for here. Man. Like it took me forever. <laughs> you When you watch movies at midnight yeah, no, that's by true. yourself and, it's, and you want to just go home. <laughs> nothing is great it feels like you know you have to really like be you know there for it but anchorman is a is a movie we still quote today it's so quotable yeah I mean, and even the even the i mean you've got paul rudd's character that is just this lothario which is terrific you got champ kind yeah uh, which has you know his big whammy yeah. you know <laughs> And then Steve Carell, who's dumb as a box of rocks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got these great lines of like, they're arguing in the the office and everything. And he's like, loud noises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what we're yelling about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It, it, they talk about Adam Kay and Will Ferrell always talk about this layering effect that they put on movies mm-hmm. that I can totally, I'm a sucker for those movies. I, because each time you watch them, something else will hit you. It's it, there's there's like a little throwaway line when uh, uh, Christina Applegate comes out and she's like, and you're not going to let me read the news because I have breasts, yeah, yeah. exquisite breasts, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like she overpronounces it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it sounds awesome. Yeah. It's it's a hint of the absurd, right? Oh yeah, like when he goes early on to that restaurant and then just busts out jazz flute. <laughs> yeah, and he's like yeah. dancing all over the place, and he keeps entering the frame <laughs> and he's impossible. Been. You know, could have been anything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's got to be a little bit of absurdity there, I think, to make that work. Otherwise, it wouldn't play very well. <laughs> I will say, even though I wasn't like super liking it the first time I watched it, the part where he jumps down into the bear bear pit and he's like, I immediately regret this decision made me laugh very hard. Oh, yes. Um, it was something that I would start saying myself, even though I wasn't like a big fan of the movie. Um, but now, yeah, now I love it. But do you guys know that there's an untold anchor? man untold story that- yeah they shot so much footage they made a second 
movie out of it. Yeah, and it has. Have you seen it? And it, yeah, it we, it's on the uh, it's on the DVD or Blu-ray, and like uh, it's got um, Kevin Corrigan is in it, uh, and uh, Maya Rudolph, and they're like these robbers, and they're going around, and it's like a whole story with them. Hmm. You know, and everything. And I I didn't really pay much attention to it because I was kind of in the background. I was like, why every once in a while watching it. But it's a it's it's more about that than it is about, you know, him and Christina Applegate having the power struggle at the news station and all that. Uh, in fact, it even starts with her already as an anchor or something. I, I never saw it. I just read about it. Yeah, it's not very good. It's not funny at all. But, you know, you wouldn't think hey, we have a bunch of extra footage, let's make another movie out of that, would turn into I a just, great movie. I just sat there and, and and thought to myself, like, how'd they make this and that? Like, how did that fit in? How did that fit in to all this other stuff that was going on? It doesn't make any sense. You know, like, I, I feel like they started off making that movie and realized it wasn't funny and they rewrote oh, it. Well, that worked out. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Another one that came out, another big comedy, was Dodgeball, a true oh, underdog yeah. story. That one's another one that people like to quote quite often and everything. Um, it it played, overlapping universes there with Vince yeah. Vaughn and and Ben Stiller and all that stuff. Yeah, it it, it plays kind of like a Todd Phillips type of movie, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but uh, he's not in he's not in any way involved with this or whatever. But it's it's that uh, it's you know they called him the frat pack back when they were like you know bigger comedy stars and everything. Yeah, Vince Vaughn and mm-hmm. Will Ferrell and uh, Luke Wilson and all these guys. But um, but yeah, Dodgeball is just another one of those, uh, especially uh, the Jason Bateman stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jason Bateman, you know, just you know, this uh, bold strategy, Cotton. <laughs> Let's see if it works for him. You know, that that's something that you hear often, quite often. But yeah, I mean, it's just a funny movie. I love Ben Stiller in this movie. Yeah, yeah. especially at the end when the girl makes it over from the cheerleading tournament and says, I love you to the kid. And he throws a ball and hits him in the face. He's like, Jody loves Chachi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he is hilarious and he's such a, He's such an evil prick in this. <laughs> I love it when he's in, uh, introducing his group, like his posse and everything. And he's like, here's Blaze, Laser, Blazer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah they're all american gladiators yeah and just him just him hitting on christina taylor who is his wife yeah, in real yeah, life, yeah. uh and and getting rejected many many times it's hilarious to me on a sort of a different metal level <laughs> you know um but uh yeah real funny movie if um, you like vince vaughn this is like not peak vince vaughn i think Wedding Crashers is peak Vince Vaughn, but mm-hmm. like just fast talking, like, you know, wisecracking type of stuff. And he's he's awesome in it. He's yeah. very Vince Vaughn in it. He is. What else, guys? Um, let's talk about Collateral. Okay. Ooh, good movie. This is Michael Mann. Yeah. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx. Yep. I love it. Love yeah. Collateral. I think this movie is awesome. Yeah. Basically, the story is a hitman grabs a taxi driver, basically orders him around so he can do all these kills. Yeah. The driver <laughs> for the night, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Tom Cruise almost never plays somebody this bad right yeah like, I, I don't think he i think this is the first time we've ever seen him as a. I villain. wish he would he's so good at it yeah, yeah. and it might be the only time we've seen unless him. unless you count frank Mackey or whatever yeah although he's a social I would, yeah i wouldn't really call him yeah i mean yeah i mean that's as close as we saw him to being like but a truly here, evil flat person out not good yeah yeah but you do sort of root for him but that's just the nature of the, the way storytelling works uh, right but i'm glad to hear you guys like it i think that this is more divided than um, 
I had thought because oh, I really? saw it and liked it, but I know a few people who, who who do not like it, and I don't get it. I don't know. Oh, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's uh, this is just sort of my jam type of movie, you know, like uh, a movie that's sort of all contained into one night, and it's you know, it's got all this action that happens and over several hours and everything. I've always loved movies like that yeah. for whatever reason, and this does it really well. Michael Mann's amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jamie Fox got nominated for this, um, as well as Ray. Oh, um, yeah, he got he got two nominations in this year. Wow. Um, but he got nominated for Collateral. I sure hope we don't have to talk about Ray. Yeah, you guys don't like Ray. Well, I will. Here's the thing about Ray. Does that sound? That sounds like a movie, doesn't it? There's something about Ray. (laughs) Um, the. It's a shame about Ray. It's a Lemonhead song. Yeah. Ah, it's a shame about Ray. It's a shame. Um, all these biopics uh, always have, they have shortcomings for me because they're always like. Sucky. Let, well, they, <laughs> they're sucky. Sorry, go on. Um, but they, they, they always have to, they feel like they have to hit all of these beats, basically. Yeah. yeah. They don't. And because they're trying to structure their movie this way, they, you know, they don't have really much room for real creativity other than, other than, uh, saying stuff that didn't actually happen, which happens in biopics all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Jamie Foxx is amazing at imitating he, yeah. Ray Charles. Yeah. 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 And yeah. that's what he, that's what he got his nomination for and won. Which you think would be easy. And mm-hmm. because, I mean, Ray Charles was such a, an oversized character and because of his blindness, so singular. Yeah, Ray, like there's there's two music biopics I think get most of it right. It's Walk the Line and Ray. And I think Ray, man, just because he, he seemed like he embodied it, not only like the ostentatious, like here, I'm Ray Charles, I'm, you know, the, the singer and everything, but like his whole struggles with addiction and all that stuff, his family drama and everything. I, I like this movie more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really stay with me and everything, but his performance definitely does. And unfortunately, his performance would carry on until where he did a Ray Charles impersonation on Kanye West's Gold Digger track, yeah. too, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. at that point was getting very tiresome. But yeah, anyway. I, I, I look at biopics like the same as when my teacher in school would make me read a biography instead of something that was fiction. Mm. I just, I don't, I'm not drawn to them at all. I think, Walking Phoenix was great and Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. I watched it. it. It added nothing to my life. I probably could have used those two hours to do something else. <laughs> That's how I feel about Ray. It's it's harmless. It didn't offend me. It's yeah. not bad filmmaking. I'm just not drawn to watch a biography of a singer. I'm the yeah. same way about these biopics. And when Walk Hard comes out later on and basically uses those two movies that <laughs> yeah. you just mentioned yeah. uh, as the template for this and everything, I'm like, this is exactly why I don't <laughs> like biopics. It's all the stuff that they're making fun of right here. Um, but I can see, I can see liking it too. It's just that I just, I've never been a, a big fan of them. Um, uh, what else guys? Miracle. Ah. Yeah. Fuck you. If you don't like this movie. Yeah. Um, there aren't enough good hockey movies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is probably not going to shatter anyone's world when you watch it. Um, you know, the outcome before you watch it. Uh, but it's Kurt Russell just anchoring this movie as this like, really hard to penetrate and get to know gruff coach who has a plan that nobody but him really understands that ends up working yeah um to help this scrappy group of basically no talent americans beat the most talented hockey team in the world i got a question for you so this is essentially a biopic though right 
But it's it's more of like a behind the scenes type of thing that shows you you know story that it's you wouldn't. It's not sold to you as a biopic. It's not yeah. sold to you as the story of. But it's the not. Coach. Yeah, it's not about one person. I guess it's not the lifespan of the person. This it's is the more about the, the story, an event, an action event, basically. I think a biopic. You are not wrong, by the way. It is very biopicish because yeah. it's coming on with has to come up with some facts here and there, even though it's stretching the truth here and there, but. Uh, it's not, it's, it's a singular event and how we got to this event. It's whereas in a person's life, it's all the boring shit that they went through. And then all the, <laughs> here's all the highlights. They usually uh, took a lot of drugs and then, you know, <laughs> you know, I didn't have to watch coach Herb court his wife 20 years. Before the of this movie. <laughs> right? I do it's love that. Outtakes. It's got one of the best sports speeches or speeches in general yeah. in all of film history at the, in between periods in that game where he gives them that this is yours. This is your moment. Now go out there and take it. And yeah. he just walks out. Yeah. Like and I get fired up every time I see it. It's just <laughs> oh hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, you know, I mean, it's a you know, really significant sports uh moment in US history and everything. Uh it, one thing about this movie that <laughs> bothered me, this is gonna be this is very small. I'm not I'm not saying the movie's bad because of it, but I hated the fact that they got Al Michaels to redo his, his Oh, yeah. that was dumb. Uh just just play his normal yeah. thing because I, every time somebody tries to imitate it it's not the same thing i have a theory on that though because i've tried to pull this clip so oh, many times it's too muddy the quality is awful well yeah it was it's like buried this is pre-cable era yeah like, yeah so i don't think they could get a clear I, i'm sure they could do like a zoom and enhanced type yeah thing and it, it would probably like, sound a little bit crackly yeah. and everything yeah I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I, they still could have used it, though. I mean, they could have. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not like his. It's not like his new announcing uh, like adds any element to the game to the movie you're watching. Uh, it feels like they could have found a way to like, even if it was a tinny type mm, of sound mm. or whatever, they still could have done that. But anyway, it always loses something for me whenever they yeah. do that type of thing, and it's just like it's not the same. And well, you know, it's not whatever but miracle good movie yeah it is ah thank you for saying that um uh let's see what else Gus? you talked about Shaun of the dead dawn of the dead yes, came out and, this year and this is uh zach snyder yes a competent film from zach snyder yeah uh directing a script <laughs> yeah. by james gunn who did guardians uh -huh. of the galaxy i remember watching this and i was like man i love this it's awesome yeah it's and then and then the zach snyder we got after that like I don't know what happened, man. I'm like, fine with 300, but then after that, everything is yeah. like something else is going on there. I mean, it's not like Dawn of the Dead. I mean, of course, it's a remake uh, for the George Romero movie, mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome in its own right. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there's something about the characters, even like the broad strokes of like Ty Burrell's asshole character and like all that stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> and Ving Rhames, you know, which is funny if you ever if you've watched Modern Family and then you go back and watch <laughs> this, you're like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> but like, it, like he, he builds tension from the guy on the roof, you know, yes. across the way and everything, and the zombies are are always in the back of your mind, even though they're not like prominently featured throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. They're in a shopping mall, and for whatever reason, I love that stuff. Uh, I just think it's it's really well done. It's not the greatest horror movie, but it's it's a really no. Really it good is movie. super well done, and you're talking all that stuff on the roof is where it's like yeah. really shines yeah. and everything, and it also has a really nice like uh, in credit sequence too. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But uh, I, I think the, the my favorite part of Dawn of the Dead though 
It's got to be that Richard Cheese and Lounge Against the Machine who does the cover of Disturbs Down with the Sickness. Oh yeah, and they're like they're sitting there picking off zombies from the roof. And it's like better get up, become down with the sickness, you know. And, uh, <laughs> your mother get up, become down with the sickness, and it's just so enjoyable, you know. Uh, in in that in that just. It brings you into that world so well and everything. And you realize you're not watching just, you know, they could have easily done the real Disturbed song Uh there. But they made a, they did the funny version. And you're like, oh, okay, this is the fun version. We're good. Um, But yeah, I love Donna. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a good movie. Um, Another horror movie that came out, which... um, Led to uh, the the term torture porn. Uh-huh. Saw came yep. out, uh, and this was an extremely popular genre for about five years. It went way past its you know shelf life, obviously, because after a while, do we really need to see this over and over and over again? No, we don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that they'll find a way to to resurrect Saw someday because it's one of those type of things. But uh, but this. Uh, I love I love the actual idea of Saw. Yeah. Um the movie's execution is not great, I don't think. And this is this is James Wan who mm. I think is a really re- good director as far as horror movies are concerned and everything like that. Um but I I feel like this premise could have been better if the puzzles were more fun. Yeah. I, I know that they're trying they just want to you want to give your horror audience a bunch of blood and stuff like that. I understand that. But man, if they were just a little bit more cerebral, I would I would be all about Saw and I'd watch 20 of these things if it was like <laughs> yeah. if it, if there was more thought process. If there were to less. It. I know it's in the next movie, but if there were less like pits of heroin used heroin needles. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Saw 2 is where they just Saw 2 is where they just decide, yeah, you don't really need any like smart puzzles at all. And let's yeah. put the dumbest people possible in a house and then like <laughs> give them a whole bunch of random rooms and they don't matter anyway and all this other <laughs> bullshit but this one was a really good start and i was really shocked when saw 2 went that direction yeah and everything. yeah and uh then later on like saw 3 is is an okay movie but then like everything i feel like after that uh but uh this is a i mean i i, I think it's a really good i think it's a good start and then it just never mm-hmm. um another uh big romantic uh drama uh, was the notebook uh, yeah uh we gotta talk about it guys. if i if i could make it through one viewing <coughs> with my wife where she doesn't break down into tears and say she loved him so much yeah. i would feel so much better about my life right <laughs> every time she just she's she's nothing she's a she's a puddle and she's like i've I loved her so much. i've got to say even though we send james garner's cry face in the sins <laughs> video that is a devastating moment i yeah, mean it's yeah, a yeah. you know but uh but yeah whatever do do we like this movie? No, no, no. and no. Yeah, no. I only watched this movie because we did the sins video, and I was expecting some semblance of quality because it's got such a reputation, and all the girls love it. And like, Love Actually is probably a decent movie, right? Like, I watched this thing, and I was blown away at how after school specially it feels. Yes, well, it's yes, it it's Nicholas Sparks Land, um, and this is the the theme of all of his the all of his books and adaptations we see this in dear john and all these other like movies that they come out with 
uh, there's just this weird formula. Like, you know, it's a couple that they, they're just so hot for each other. Then something like war breaks in, breaks them up. And then the girl doesn't does, does something stupid or whatever. And then the guy has to win her back. And it's just a whole, that's that formula, you know, whatever. Rachel, Rachel McAdams had a great year. Though. Yeah, she did. I mean, between this and, uh, or a big year, at least between this and mean girls. Yeah. She was hitting. It, I mean, it's, it's kind of a waste on such generic stuff of two really great actors of you know yeah. Rich McAdams and Ryan Gosling um I don't know it, it's it accomplishes what it wants to do and I don't think our, we're its target audience <laughs> no we're not um I, I I think it I think it's the best of those yeah <laughs> Nicholas yeah. Sparks Probably movies so, or yeah. whatever but yeah it's uh yeah let's mm. not talk about it anymore Good, 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 good. <laughs> um, also, uh, we got to talk about this. The Village is the beginning of the end of M. Night Shyamalan. For a while, anyway, we might be seeing a little bit of a resurgence. His but- stuff had been so good up to that point that 30 minutes in, I'm saying, well, he's too smart to make the twist that they're living in modern times. So <laughs> I can't wait to see what he's going to yeah. do. Yeah. No. He's well, not too smart. Even if he doesn't make that twist, the problem is is that the movie itself all the way up leading to the twist is not good either. Right. Um so even if he doesn't make that dumbass twist, then you still have you're left with a bad movie because and I just that was what I kept thinking when I after I finished this movie the first time I was like yeah, so I don't like the ending, but the it seems like the whole thing was made for that ending. Yeah, like yeah. they he, like oh like the idea for the whole script came up. What if it was Amish people or something like that? People who look like uh, olden times and they're actually living in you know yeah I yeah mean, yeah because when you go back, I think we talked about this. When you go back and you watch The Sixth Sense, even though it was spoiled for both of you, mm-hmm. you still enjoyed the movie. Yeah. 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 And because it could stand on its own two feet. Unbreakable was the same thing. It had a big twist ending and everything, but it was a good movie all the way through. This was like, it's a setup for the whammy at the end. Yeah. And, uh, and ultimately that's the reason why it failed so, so horribly for me is I could have, e- I, I don't, I could have even dealt with that ending if the rest of the movie was like in, in, in any way good at all. And there's a lot of good people in this too. Yeah, there's a lot of good people in this. Yeah. And, uh, so I, yeah. Team America came out. In One of your favorite comedies, I guess. One of my favorites. One yes. of my favorite comedies too. Yeah. Puppets doing inappropriate things. Yes. From the South Park creators. Yes. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm gonna rock your world. Never saw it. Whoa. Really? Never saw it all the way through, hmm. I should say. I've seen scenes. Hmm. Never saw it. That's a stunning revelation. Well, <laughs> here's what it is. It felt to me on the heels of the South Park movie like extremes with puppets Mm. and i i think that may be what it is i don't i haven't seen enough of it to really know but i know there's like a awkward sex scene i know there's that (laughs) america fuck yeah and i just thought well i kind of got all this humor from the south park movie and so i was just never drawn to it Mm. and now over the years you've raved about it so much i would watch this movie again or try to watch this movie again uh because it is i mean it you, I think now that there's 12 years removed from it and everything, you can watch this without thinking of South Park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I want to talk about with this movie is how amazing it looks. Uh, first off, they got Bill Pope, the Matrix cinematographer, yeah. to do this. And they also decorate all the sets with like really fun details. Like 
like you know like they'll be used they'll use quarters and stuff like that for like you know for things that look like just regular building architecture mm. or whatever and just everything looks amazing about it but man yeah this movie is funny as shit yeah. man and i watched it two nights in a row i watched it on wednesday night when we got it and i watched it a thursday <laughs> night again and i was still laughing my ass off <laughs> um but yeah, America fuck yeah, like cra- cracks my ass up every time, especially when you listen to the whole song like during the credits. <laughs> um No, that's it continues there. It cuz South Park bigger longer uncut. I think for all of us was a surprise that it was a musical. Yeah. Um and it, it and the music was so good. And this, the music is fantastic. There's the America fuck yeah, and then there's the freedom isn't free yeah. song. No, there's the one where he's singing about how Michael Bay sucks and everything. <laughs> yeah. Like Pearl Harbor sucks, <laughs> and I love you, and like uh, and uh, the the scene that makes me laugh the most nowadays though is the when he's got uh, I think it's Spotswood tells him uh you know like well we haven't we haven't thought about every everything that's going to happen out there but for the thing but for whatever does happen out there we've given you a we've given you a way out and you think you normally this is like where they give you the pill or whatever <laughs> he puts a hammer in front of it, it just it, i mean it's i mean yeah there are a lot of like trey parker matt stone like pushing the envelope type of things mm. in this especially the sex scene which i find hilarious yeah yeah uh and and they they went way farther they in, did. <laughs> but they, they cut that out uh i i wholly recommend this yeah. movie yeah it's hilarious if you're old enough okay so kill bill volume two we talked a little bit about kill bill volume one last time this is the better of the kill bill movies it's got more dialogue more stuff to sink your teeth into great ending to this movie um and i i love it to pieces um also we you talked a little bit about the terminal when we were talking about spielberg Mm -hmm. this is one of the lower spielberg movies yeah um i i mean hanks is really good in this yeah uh, but it just never drew me in. It was a weird Spielberg movie for well, me. Well, and it's a, Hanks is doing a weird accent because this yeah. is very loosely based on a true story about a dude that, for visa reasons, was basically living in an airport for a brief time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hanks's accent, I think, is what kills it for me. Um, but it's just not very funny. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's obviously very slick Spielberg production when you watch it, but it's just nothing really yeah. kind of connect to. Yeah. Uh, more J horror that got remade. The Grudge came out in two thousand four, which uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the original also runs circles around this yeah. one if you've ever seen it. Um, uh, yeah, The Grudge. The Aviator. Martin Scorsese's most going for the Oscar movie he's ever made. <laughs> Gangs of New York was a, a, a launching point for that. The Aviator. Let's do Howard Hughes. Let's get DiCaprio as Howard Hughes. Let's go through his... Another biopic, by the yeah, way, yeah, when yeah. it comes down to it. Oh, yeah. And is probably his one of his least watchable... I mean, it's good. It's a good movie. It's okay. But it's not one of the Scorsese's best. When you're watching it, you're like, you don't really feel Scorsese's no, fingerprints no, no. on this movie at all. Um, uh, also, another, I mean, this one didn't connect as much as Dodgeball, but Starsky and Hutch uh, remade, mm-hmm. I mean, adaptation from a TV show. That was Todd Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, again, Vince Vaughn yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ben Stiller yeah. and Owen Wilson. 
Um, one of the worst movies ever made, Alien versus Predator, came out <laughs> oh, in 2004. Yes. <laughs> one of the worst you'll ever see. One of my most miserable experiences watching a movie at midnight. Um, another white chicks. What the fuck happened in 2004? <laughs> um, we also got. If you just want to do a what the fuck 2004, then don't skip van helsing don't skip catwoman yeah i mean yeah that there were some real what the fuck movies yeah that came Hollywood out. made some bad decisions yeah hellboy's okay i liked hellboy all right oh the remake of the manchurian candidate mm-hmm. came out uh, did with, you like this at all no yeah. no I, I mean the original is just way mm-hmm. better than yeah. this um napoleon dynamite came yeah. out yeah huge cold hit yeah yeah very much so i mm. one that i never really got into myself i liked it but that was it um it's got a very unique aesthetic it does it does um but it is it is uh it's definitely worth talking about because a lot of people love this movie so much and and um but i i've never been that type of person you, you really like this don't you i like it a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. I, talk I, about I, it a little bit it's just a weird aesthetic it's it's very indie feeling there's no like beautiful movie movie stars in this yeah. john heater's basically uh as nerdy as nerd gets uh i talked about a few episodes ago that dance sequence uh that's completely out of nowhere and makes me feel triumphant every time at the talent show uh but you know i, I, I think it's a fun movie yeah yeah uh i went through a whole bunch of others here that i don't eh, you know had alexander oliver stone came out with an alexander movie there were supposed to be two alexander movies Baz Luhrmann was going to do another one. And yeah. then after this tanked, they were like, mm, no. <laughs> um, and the two big documentaries that came out, just want to give them lip service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Super Size Me, mm-hmm. uh, Morgan Spurlock, eating McDonald's every day for like, what, a month or something like that? Yeah, it was like something like that, yeah. Yeah, and very unscientific. Very unscientific. Uh, but, uh, you know, interesting if you're into that kind of thing. He's definitely built a brand on it. And the other one is Michael Moore's Divisive Fahrenheit 9-11, where... Everybody that is not liberal is <laughs> a fiend. Yeah, yeah it's pretty uh, much. It's, it, it makes no bones. I mean, it's like basically like a Dinesh D'Souza. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the other pretty much like that. Thing. Yeah. And it's got that famous, you know, like, we will not rest until we find the terrorists. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Just, now watch this drive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 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 um. Well, while you're umming, I'll point out that Dennis Quaid was the hardest working man this year. None of these movies deserve to be talked about, really, but he was in In Good Company, yeah. Flight of the Phoenix, Alamo, and Day After Tomorrow. Jeez. Oh. All in a, all That's in right. One year. Day, uh, Day After Tomorrow <laughs> came out and did one of the biggest hits of this year. Well, is that not, I mean, of that genre, I mean, this is the bar is set so low. Like, I can't allow what you're about to say. one of the most more watchable ones. No, no. Yeah, I think Man, so. You I, should be tased for watching this I movie. Honestly, really? I, I think no. I mean, and and then I'm comparing it to like 2012. But and he, like it's the same guy. Like They're the same I, thing yeah, to me. It's no, the, yeah, it's the same guy, and that's a stepping stone for 2012, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's just no. I mean, I, I I see where you're going. Maybe so, but it, like in some weird microcosm, it's a watchable. Yeah, I mean, movie. if you have to, if you have to sit there and watch Roland Emmerich movies that are not ID4, then I'm, I'm going to choose The Patriot. Ha-ha, I got gotcha. you. Oh, all right. I have um, been properly chastened. <laughs> uh, um, a movie that I thought was going to be great and was just shit, just total shit, was Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Oh, God. Remember the trailers for this? Yes. I was like, boy, this looks awesome. Holy <laughs> crap. I can't wait till this comes out. And then you watch it and it's like, hmm. No, it's terrible. <laughs> it's a garbage yeah. fire. Closer came out. I know. I know everybody likes oh, Closer yeah. in here. Closer yeah. came out in two thousand. Talked about that. Really, really times. good. We have. Oh, can I mention something? Go for it. A great, great, great movie that 
I don't think anybody talks about anymore is Hotel Rwanda. Yeah, yeah. I like that Man, movie. That it's on is, my list. That is a terrific movie. Yeah, Don uh, Cheadle's amazing. He really is, and it it is such a weird movie because there's this. I mean, this incredibly serious. A million Rwandans were killed over like a hundred days, mm-hmm. and he throughout this movie, you almost think that you're watching like a regular business being operated because he keeps the hotel like you know he wants to make sure that it looks like a operating hotel even though he's accepting all these refugees it it is amazing well and 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 another thing that about that movie that's so powerful is that they have the military down there Mm. but they can't do anything the un yeah the un that's right Uh they have the un down there they can't do anything and it's like just basically allowing this type of shit to happen and everything um also uh Garden State, which I know is divisive. Um, uh, It's. uh, I don't. Do you like this movie at all? I haven't seen it since it came out. I liked it when I watched it. Yeah, I mean, here's here's the thing. Like it it samples, or it actually gets input from the Shins, this band called the Shins, an indie band, uh, to do the soundtrack. And there's a song called New Slang in there. I like the Shins. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't ever go out of my way to listen to the Shins or anything like that. I feel exactly about this movie that I feel about the Shins. It's pretty harmless. Yeah, I, I watched it and enjoyed it, but it has developed a weird backlash since then. Yeah, where I think people like to hate on Zach Braff for some reason. Mm. Well, and and part of that is his punked appearance and all that, <laughs> and all that, and uh, where he like I think he actually like nearly he did beat up a kid, but they didn't show that. Oh, really? Yeah, did something he really? like that. Like if that turns out not to be true, you're obviously <laughs> going to cut it off. But I think he actually beat up a kid during that that punked episode where his car apparently gets oh, beaten in he was yeah and he was pissed off you could see it in the you know the the actual show where he's just like yelling at the kid and everything but later on you find out that they cut out the part where he actually punched that kid <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's awesome um, chris does not advocate punching kids in the face yeah no, but this is the second week in a row we've talked about hitting kids <laughs> yeah but maybe this one maybe this guy um jersey girl came out i'm just bring this up just because kevin smith made his like first pg-13 movie and then was unfortunately caught up in all the Benefer shit yeah. with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, who's not even in the movie that much. Uh, it's not definitely one of his best, uh, and and some might even say it's his worst, but I love the scene where Ben Affleck takes his daughter to Sweeney Todd in in the movie because he doesn't know it's this violent (laughs) and there's like a point where like he's just watching it like normally and then like there's this big bloody scene and his jaw and hand drops and he's just (laughs) his kids just sitting there watching it like oh this is the funniest (laughs) you know it's it's a one of those great moments in movies you know that's like not a great movie but, but i love that part um and then uh wes anderson the life aquatic with steve zissou oh that is awful yeah not uh, a fan yeah not a fan uh i have watched it since it came out and i like it better than i did the first time but definitely not his best mm. uh and and possibly his worst well darjeeling limited might be as well oh i like i like this less much less oh okay yeah <laughs> much, that's that's un- that's understandable uh, did we miss anything else okay I, i'm i might have the wrong years but i'm i'm waiting for you to bring up national treasure and oh national treasure baby. i just skipped over it and then million dollar baby yeah i was not neither i think are gonna require discussion like oh we might vote for these movies right. i guess what million dollar baby won some oscars so some people might think it's the best movie of this year yeah um clint eastwood uh is sort of in a zone at this point where almost everything he makes gets oscar consideration and hillary swank 
gets another win for for this. She's won two Oscars, and I feel like she's like the most winningest Oscar actress in history that we forget about all the time. Like it's wasn't you know, wasn't she immortalized in an Office episode shortly after this, where they were asking if she was hot or not? Oh, and then they I'm, had I don't remember that. Like, he had her picture up there, and they were all voting, and they're like, "Well, she's got symmetry and stuff like yeah, that." Yeah, I, I know a lot of people who think she looks like Matt Damon. And oh. so, so, so like, oh, no, like, oh. <laughs> so like, okay. I've always liked Hillary Swank. Yeah. I don't want to talk about her looks and everything. I don't really feel comfortable. Matt doing Damon that. is a handsome man. Yeah, exactly. Matt Damon's a handsome man. Uh, but um, but uh, a million dollar baby. Um, I, I like this movie. I, I do think that it's another one of those that it's it's basically built around the the whammy and everything. Yeah. yeah. Which is a pretty sizable whammy. Yeah. Um, I actually thought it was heading another way because Morgan Freeman looks like he's about to be the whammy in this yeah. movie because he's all drunk and crap. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, Morgan, oh, I see where this is going. Oh, oh, it's not that. It's yeah. something else. Uh, but yeah, another movie that feels kind of like, you know, they kind of like, yeah, we're, we're manipulating you a little bit and everything. And that's become sort of a uh, trademark of the Paul Haggis script because Crash comes later. Yeah. Um, Haggis yes um, the only other thing i jeremy want to mention uh is that my you know how hollywood often does pairs right so like just just this week it was announced that scarlett johansson and um jennifer lawrence are both making biopics about f scott fitzgerald's wife oh oh wow but we also had you know the famous ones are ants and bugs life and armageddon and deep impact and dante's <laughs> peak and volcano this year is my favorite one ever because somehow we got two comedies about the president's daughter yeah one was called first daughter and one was called chasing liberty yeah and i don't know why one of those didn't back off because that is the stupidest thing to put your foot down on and go well we're gonna do ours too yeah, yeah. like there's yeah. not even really they room even, for one they even of those fought the for the same release date with that shit um, oh man but you, you mentioned national treasure which we should bring up too is the national treasure was a fun movie yeah, I like yeah. It a lot. another movie that's been ruined by a sequel or whatever like the first one's good kind of like pirates of the caribbean good yeah. movie and then the sequels fuck everything uh but uh but yeah i mean it's 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 a nice fun indiana jones type of movie with nicholas cage being all you know you know i mean it's got sean bean being beanie yeah very beanie um it's so funny you said that because my friend josh who you know Mm -hmm. um biggest indiana jones fan you'll ever meet like it's gospel to him and our roommate kevin came home from seeing national treasure and was like man it kind of felt like indiana jones and josh was like you shut your mouth but then kevin realized it was bothering him and within five minutes he was like this movie's better than indiana jones and he was just needling josh for the sake of it and it was one of my favorite conversations to witness ever um another one uh, that uh, uh, matthew vaughn came out with layer cake that's yeah. another uh-huh. another good one that came out in this year and then i don't know every are we, we going to talk about born supremacy Ooh, uh, I really like it. This is one of those series that I think everyone gets better. I think the ultimatum's the best. I think supremacy is the second best, and the identity is the least awesome of the three, even though they're all awesome. Uh, I really like supremacy. I don't know how you guys feel. Yeah, oh, it's great. supremacy. Yeah. Supremacy is great. I like ultimatum. Well, wait a minute. No, I don't know. I think I like supremacy better than ultimatum. You're allowed because ultimatum felt like more of the same to me from what supremacy did, but. I think maybe Ultimatum might still be a better movie, even though I like Supremacy better. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do love one of my favorite Bourne scenes, period, 
is when he lets himself get captured by the Italian cops at the airport and he just sits there. He doesn't move or anything. The guy can't get any information out of him because Bourne knows sooner or later a high-ranking CIA official is going to call this guy. Yeah. And when that happens, beat down, leave, and then he basically clones the phone. Yeah. That's how he learns Pamela Landy's name. Then he goes and finds which hotel she's staying at. Just shows off his genius so much in that one little scene. Yeah. Um. Okay, and then the Polar Express also came out. Yeah. I remember making a bet with uh, my projectionist friends that uh, the Incredibles would destroy this at the box office, and they were like, "No, man! Oh, really? No, man! Polar Express is definitely—I mean, it's got the Thanksgiving release date and all that." And I was like, "You don't know Pixar, then." And uh, and sure enough, Incredibles destroyed this movie at the box office, <laughs> even though Polar Express still did. Uh, pretty boffo business but man i, I really didn't like didn't it like though. it at all especially yeah. those goddamn aerosmith elves at the yeah, end no, <laughs> no, what the hell what is that, that people all over the world <laughs> whatever song he plays um i robot came out also this year mm-hmm. um and also an oceans movie that i think nobody likes but me oceans 12 i think i think this movie is hilarious because it is so aware of itself it is all the way through it and they and yes they they made this movie to take a vacation there's no doubt about it (laughs) but i love every bit of it because it's it's you know it's because it knows that's what it is the entire time the whole thing with you look like julia roberts and the and matt damon explaining to bruce willis he thinks he figured out the sixth sense before (laughs) and uh and the whole thing with vincent cassell dancing through those lasers that was cool as shit yeah uh, and and for what we ultimately find out is for nothing yeah, yeah. <laughs> is 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 fantastic and i and that's why i've always loved that movie um matt damon uh did did this movie and then euro trip was being made uh <laughs> was made was made pretty close to that. that's how you get to do the scotty didn't know yeah. and all that other type of stuff in euro trip um but uh yeah so now have we gotten everything i think we got it man <laughs> it was a busy year man Ooh, yeah yeah it was a fun year well, and another one, another movie that I gotta bring up before Sunset came out. It's yeah, the yeah. middle part of this before sunrise mm-hmm. and all that uh, uh, series. And Friday Night Lights also came yep. out in this year. So uh, lots of stuff we could have talked about here. I just, uh, I think we'll, we're probably going <laughs> to probably end up missing like five more movies. Yeah. But uh, all right. What's the, what's the order? Today's order is Jeremy, Chris, and Barrett. All righty. Incredibles. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Uh, uh, if I could, if I could have a relationship with a movie and my wife would allow it, this would be one of the candidates. I love it. It makes me feel all the feels at various different points. Mm. Um, it's Brad Bird's mastery at work. It's uh, the best superhero movie ever made and the best movie Pixar's made. You know what came to me when I was uh, looking at this movie? It's kind of the the real version of the Sokovia Accords, right? <laughs> Isn't it because they didn't they ban superheroes from superheroing? Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. In this movie, they had to get anonymous and go underground. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was all because of that lawsuit, Mister Sansweet. Man, he yeah, ruined everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I'm going to go with Sky Captain. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Surprise! After, after all that, after all that talk about how it's terrible and everything. Um, uh, no, I'm going to go with Sideways on this one. Oh wow. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, I feel like this is um, Paul Giamatti at his best, and it's Alexander Payne at his best, and it's, uh, 
it's just a it's just a very good small movie and i love the incredibles obviously i just think this one has a little bit more to it than uh overall so yeah i mean it's really it's really a, a decision between three or four movies here and i ended up on this one yeah, yeah it was it was like i said it was tough to narrow it down and pick a vote because they're I, I like almost all these movies here about the same mm-hmm. it's interesting because when we first started out we were talking about cultural impact and like how big things are relative to what we like and everything um and now we've kind of gotten to where it's like there's it's so diluted i guess mm-hmm. that we have to pick what we think is is literally the best right um and so my pick is not you know a huge cultural impact but it's eternal sunshine on the spotless yeah mm-hmm. um i think this movie is one of my favorite uh of the decade for sure mm-hmm. and probably in my top 20 of all time yeah uh, i can watch it anytime uh, the characters are terrific the actors are wonderful in the direction maybe it's my music video aesthetic but i i love it so much yeah i really kind of want to throw out like spider-man 2 just to keep <laughs> things rolling but my second vote was sideways yeah nice um and uh, that's going to put us on a course to maybe be done after this round. Uh, yeah, we'll, well see how you guys vote. No, because I'm going to say The Incredibles. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. That's uh, beautiful. I mean, for everything that Jeremy just said and everything. I mean, this is this is just, this is uh, the first time I've ever felt like a cartoon transcended cartoons. Yeah. And everything. And the first time I really felt that way. And uh, it's how good this movie is. Wow. I have the deciding vote. You do. Because my pick is one of those two. Oh, wow. And, it's going to be sideways. Uh, it's a movie that I'm going to watch tonight that I borrowed from Chris because my son got so excited about me talking about it, and it's The Incredible. Yeah. Oh. It's not sideways. That would be weird if I showed my eight-year-old son <laughs> yeah. Once you started talking about the son thing, I knew where it was going. Yeah. But, uh, I didn't expect that. Yeah, no, it's a terrific, for everything we've said, It's it's... I agree. Well, it's definitely Pixar's best movie. It's one of the best animated movies of all time, yeah. if not the best. Uh, and it's probably the best uh, superhero movie. Yeah, got to go with it. Yeah, we did good, guys. Woo-hoo. Yay! All right. Uh, since uh, the United States presidential election is coming up in the next is couple of... Oh, my what? God. Isn't that weird? <laughs> um, we are going to talk some uh, so about election movies today. about this stupid election that's politics baby get what you can out of someone then crush them you all think i'm late well i'm not late are you not entertained happy birthday mr president democracy is founded on one simple rule get out there and vote or i will mother kill you and uh you know i think this is going to be a little bit more free form than usual we're going to talk about uh you know some of our best ones our favorite ones and and all that, but um, I'll I'll go ahead and start it since we were talking about sideways yeah. uh, a lot. Uh, Alexander Payne made a movie called Election that yeah. we all like, and we've talked about uh, quite a bit on this. Mm-hmm. We don't really need to go too much more into it, but we all love this movie tremendously, and it's uh it's actually a really good look at uh, at I believe like even in a small like school pr- class president type of an election and everything uh sort of uh gives us a little sort of little microcosm of what an actual national election is like because there's you know there's mudslinging there's uh just silliness uh one of the things about election that i love that's one of the biggest parts of the movie that i love is when um when chris klein's character goes into the voting booth and uh he's paul metzler you betzler (laughs) 
he he the there's the self-narration and this is where narration is actually done very well in a movie mm-hmm. uh he goes into the booth and he says i don't know i just always felt wrong to vote for yourself and everything so he votes for tracy flick who's reese witherspoon's character uh when they count the votes at the very end tracy flick wins by one vote yep. mm-hmm. which if he would just vote for himself yep. would would have ended this whole thing and and mr McAllister, the matthew broderick character wouldn't have gone through all this disposing of two votes and all that mm-hmm. we also find out during this disposing of the votes that uh more people didn't vote and they were probably paul's sister's fan fans more than anybody they would have voted paul's sister yeah third party candidate at the the very end of this if it wasn't for the fact that she gets expelled from school um so i love the little ironies of election and everything and uh and i love how it, it shows like it feels like even though yeah the class president thing uh doesn't feel like it's going to impact your lives very much at school class president doesn't really mean much but it also i feel like Sort of tells you that the president himself, the United States, doesn't really matter much to your everyday life either, really. I mean, there's some things he does that you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, under Obama or George W. Bush, mm-hmm. this happened or whatever. But you pretty much go through your life the same way. Well, ever- and the president doesn't have total autonomous authority on yeah basically anything yeah. like it's got to go through congress right. congress has a lot more say over your day-to-day life than the president does mm-hmm. uh and to that matter your local alderman and mayor does more than congress does um but i don't want to actually talk politics i want to talk politics in movies yeah uh-huh. and i want to talk about wag the dog Ooh, uh-huh. good one i emailed you guys last night and said i need to watch this again because i bet this plays even better today than it did when it came out mm. this is about a, basically some pr guys that manufacture a war yes um to the point where they hire kirsten dunst to be the <laughs> albanian <laughs> refugee girl Orphan, yeah. carrying a cat there's they, they plant an old record in the library of congress that they can refer to and make the rallying cry of this war against i think it's albania it's albania yeah uh dustin hoffman robert de niro freaking stellar cast but i haven't seen it in like nine or ten years uh i can't really quote the jokes that much but it has that state and main kind of behind the scenes comic feel to it which is not surprising because david mamet yeah. was a co-screenwriter on wag the Dog. i did not realize that um and uh this is I, I i think this is as much about politics as it is about hollywood too it's really funny because dustin hoffman is is a producer and he wants credit he's uh yeah. you know that's his big thing he wants the credit he even says something towards the end he's like you know they don't make any oscars for producers or whatever and i'm sitting there like they make best picture that's a <laughs> producer but he's like but his his whole thing is driving him is that he wants to he wants to have credit for this. oh it's consuming even yeah. is like you're playing with your life yeah. right now he's like fuck my life i want the credit right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and, and he well, we, yeah, well, well yeah, the, 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 you know, you talk about the Kirsten Dunst thing is like, there's a point where, uh, she's like an actress who's come, who's been hired and everything. And, and she's like, like a normal, like as an agent and all this other type of stuff. It's like, and she's like, well, who, uh, who's going to see this and uh, who's going to see this and be able to know. And like De Niro's like, you can't tell anybody yeah. you did this. You can't tell anybody you did this. He's like, it's like, well, why not? So guys, we'll hunt you down and kill you. <laughs> you know, she's pretty, pretty clear about it. You know, well, that's, the, that's how he initially presents it to Dustin Hoffman's character. 
uh, this producer, he's like, well, you know, what, what we want to do is we want to, you know, do a war. You know, it, it's a pageant, and uh, you, know, you get, <laughs> yeah, you get yeah. the stuff. You get uh, you get a theme song. You get, it's a pageant. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and then- Robert De Niro <laughs> likes to say blah 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 a lot in this, like hey, blah blah blah, and you know whatever, and we get you get the thing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it comes out during the Clinton administration, and Clinton is probably best known as the the Lothario of the the Oval Office. Basically, mm. he had so many of these scandals and everything. This one's a lot worse and wag the dog. The president is accused of of having a, it's, it's like a sexual assault of a like basically a Girl Scout mm-hmm. basically is what it is. And they they have to invent in the elections in 11 days. Yeah. So they have to like come up with um you know a a way to distract the American people and it's this Albanian like this war on Albania and like they don't even fill in the details they let the reporters come up with that on, on their own basically. Yeah. It's a terrifying movie. Yes it is. Because it's not that out of the realm of possibility <laughs> as you may think. What so Robert De Niro's character is a spin doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh and he does this scarily accurately. Yeah. Uh, because as you see, we don't have to get into politics too much, but you see the spin of politicians where you'll ask them a straight question and they will answer a completely different yes. question. And it'll get the interviewer so confused. Never is that more apparent than when William H. Macy's character is talking to <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. And he's like, he's a CIA operative. And he comes in, he sits down and he says, I know that there's no war. I know we've got satellites. We've got looking at it. And Robert De Niro's like, what are you satellites? What? Wait, you got satellites? Why aren't they showing a war? Because it's a fucking war right there. And eventually he gets, he changes the conversation so much of like, there is no war to where he almost convinces him. There's a war. You don't know that that there's not. Yeah. You don't know there's a war or not. So, (laughs) you know, so, you know, do you like your job? I'm doing my job, you know? And it's the loudest voice in the room usually wins an argument. And when you change the narrative and everything, that's, that's so much American politics that it gets a little scary to me. Yeah. Since you mentioned Clinton being a Lothario, let's move into primary colors. Yeah. Yeah. Now this was a book first and it was quite, a hot topic mm-hmm. because nobody knew who wrote it for the longest time, and it was very clearly about Clinton. Yes, even it was. The names had been changed, um, and there you think there were scandals in the White House. There were scandals during the run to the White right. House, <laughs> and so here we get Travolta playing a fictionalized Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton's in this, this playing is Carville, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> um, Emma Thompson is playing Hillary. Yeah, we've got. Kathy Bates mm-hmm. uh, as like possibly mentally unstable, yeah, uh, private investigator <laughs> who has, also has a super foul mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just I find this movie super watchable. I don't know about you guys. Oh, I yeah, I've, I haven't seen it in forever, but I've read the book and I've watched the movie of this, and um, and yeah, it's it is fascinating because it is based on. What this, I guess it was a Clinton aide or a Clinton. No, it was actually it was I a, think reporter. A, a reporter. Yeah, it was a reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, but I find all that stuff fascinating because it's it's got a lot of like it's very dirty details yeah. in this, you know, yeah. like like it's played off a of satire. And this is Mike Nichols uh, 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 directing this one. But um, it's got that satirical edge to it so that it doesn't feel like too like on the nose. Yeah. But Man, this is <laughs> as on the nose as it gets, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when you, I mean, what Clinton did in real life that that still amazes me uh, is that he was basically a nobody. 
no one w- was giving him any chance until right. basically a handful of months out. And he went from nobody to front runner, despite all the scandals, yeah. uh, which blows my mind. But just the inner workings of a campaign and being on the road and the crappy hotels and coffee shops and then it's got a lot of dry humor because all these people know the man they're working for is Mm -hmm. a nightmare and he's driving them insane (laughs) but they also you know think he's a better choice than the republican counterpart and anyway i just really enjoy it this movie brings up something that's inherent in all of these movies that are are on the more rah-rah side of of the ending is i'm gonna i'm gonna do what nobody else does i'm gonna talk the truth to you yeah and that's why people like these movies, I think, is because you don't ever get that from actual politicians. Mm-hmm. They may say that, uh, but then like something like Bullworth or something like The American President or something like this, where they're like, I'm just going to get right to it. I'm going to say what nobody else will say and that kind of thing. And that's kind of what he does, but then he goes back into kind of a tr- traditional campaign. So I guess that's the appeal of these types of things. Yeah. Right? Now, if you ever really want to see uh, the actual Clinton like rise to to uh, president and everything, watch the documentary The War Room, uh, which uh, has George Stephanopoulos and James Carville and all these guys. Uh, Is that what was parodied on Documentary it Now? It was. <laughs> it was parodied on Documentary Now, um, uh, where he, Fred Armisen's playing Stephanopoulos, basically, and Hayter's playing Carville. Um, but, yeah, it's like uh, in the in Documentary Now, the one that, that they did on that is like they got this, like, uh, like politician who didn't really want to win. Yeah, you know, he's, he's just saying he, nice things. He's about saying his opponent. nice thing, nice things about his opponent and all of that stuff. And they get him, and then like Hater, who's the Carville character, really goes deep and down hard <laughs> trying to get this guy to win and everything, telling like outright lies <laughs> to get him in there. But uh, but yeah, if you ever really want to see like how that you know the election machine works, go and watch the War Room. It's a pretty good documentary. Um, you mentioned Bullworth. Mm-hmm. In this election is Ooh. as close to Bullworth as I've seen, like, you know, in real life. Yeah, Bullworth is accidentally predictive of the Trump campaign, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it kind of is. Um, now, Beatty in this uh, is, I believe he is the Republican. Uh, no, he's Democratic. Is he Democratic? Yeah. Okay. Um, but because he because he, he has that whole speech in south central where he's like you know the democratic party is going to have this platform where they say they're going to work for you we're just going to say that for election cycle and we're going to drop it uh, okay okay i just i for whatever reason because he because the what sets this movie off is his deal with the arms people yeah yeah and i figured i thought that was just like a very republican thing mm. so like uh but anyway he um he uh he's suicidal and he starts to uh go basically crazy on television cameras telling the truth yeah. basically and he's like rapping and all this other <laughs> yeah. type of stuff poorly and poorly extremely poorly yes extremely poorly and um and uh so basically what he does is he he, he keeps talking to like people who are on the outside like he runs into like Halle Berry and mm-hmm. all these these people and they're telling and he was it he there's a big scene with Don Cheadle too where he runs in and Don Cheadle tells him there's no education going on in that motherfucker talking about schools uh-huh. and everything. And he ends up incorporating all that stuff into his own speeches and everything. <laughs> it's like the schools, there's no, there's no uh, education going on in that motherfucker <laughs> on, uh, on TV and everything. <laughs> Meanwhile, as he's telling the truth as, or telling it like it is and all this other type of stuff, he's very much angering Paul Sorvino's character, who is the head of this gun lobby or, mm. or the NRA or mm. whatever. 
And um, and one of the I think one of the most poignant moments of Bullworth. Bullworth's not a great movie by any means. It's yeah, it's got so. some. It's it's I'd say it's it's very solid. Mm. Um, but uh, but one of the most poignant moments is when he when uh, Beatty is Bullworth is talking about how you you know you the the gun lobby and all these other people are paying for this debate anyway. You know, so so we say whatever, you know, you say whatever you, you know, the, the media just wants us to say whatever, you know, they mm-hmm. want us to say. So, you know, forget about tr- the truth and yeah. everything like that. And Paul Servino is like sitting there just like <laughs> he's getting very angry during all this whole whole thing, uh, you know, because he has basically told the truth. He's basically saying these guys are paying for your debates yeah. and everything. Yeah. So what what do you, you know, you can't say anything true anymore because, right. you know, it's all paid for mm-hmm. and everything. But uh, but yeah, I would if you want to see something that's just like very close to what our election is right now, watch <laughs> Bullworth because it's crazy because he, yeah, because he gets very popular by doing this. Yeah. Let's talk about Game Change. Have you guys seen that one? Yeah, yeah. I love Game Change. This is the, basically the fictionalized telling of the uh, Sarah Palin vice yeah. presidency campaign with John McCain. You want to talk about a killer cast. Mm-hmm. This is a killer cast. Um, Woody Harrelson, Julianne Moore's playing uh, Sarah Palin. Uh, the gal who played Marsha Cross on the OJ, People vs. Sarah, Sarah Paul. Paul. Sarah, she's yeah. in it. Um, and I didn't expect to like this movie. Um, cause I, I ultimately don't really care that much about politics. I, mm-hmm. I, I find it very hard to get worked up about either side. Um, and, but the portrayal here of the campaign, how they took the misstep of not vetting her properly before they brought her on, uh, how it's a, it's a fucking roller coaster because they know she's inexperienced and she goes out at that convention speech and just as she did in real life hits a fucking home run yeah. yeah fires up the republican base and all the handlers are like yes we did the right thing and it's like weeks and months later they're still learning like she can't think of the name of a newspaper and all this <laughs> other crazy shit that basically derailed that campaign mm-hmm. and how crazy she drives sarah paulson to the point where she quits yeah um she just she demands things again. This is probably fictionalized. I wasn't there. I'm not saying this is about Sarah Palin, but the the character in this movie, Sarah Palin, demands things that are literally impossible, yeah. uh, <laughs> and screams at the handlers who can't do these impossible things. Uh, I was riveted. Yeah, Ed Harris has an amazing performance. In yeah, this. play. You know, you can't say that this was. I don't know. Maybe you could say that this is a very partisan movie. That it's making her out to be buffoonish and that kind of thing. But the portrayal of John McCain's character is not overly buffoonish or antagonistic or something like that. He comes it's, off looking good in this movie. Well, he's got that one moment where the campaign really wants him to go after this Jeremiah Wright thing with Obama. And he, you can he, he plays it so beautifully where it's like he makes a decision. We're not we're just not going to go that way. That's not who I am. That's not even this high stakes campaign. I'm not going to go there. I love that moment. Yeah. I, this is a great movie. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, you want to talk about the American president? Yeah, oh, I love American president. It's yeah. a prequel to The West Wing. It really is. Yep. Oh, man, talk about a cast, man. Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus. Yeah, Michael Douglas, Martin Sheen, Michael J. Fox. Annette Banning. David Paymer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is, and Richard Dreyfuss, yeah, too. Yeah, Richard, Richard Dreyfuss playing. He plays like very cartoony Republican. In this. <laughs> he does, oh, yes. man. And he talked about. It's beginning to look a lot like. <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> the reason I bring this up is another example of like 
a an Aaron Sorkinized rah rah speech at the end where yeah. he's in the press conference and he's looking right at the camera and he's like, "What is it, Bob Rumson?" Yeah, my name like, is Bob Rumson <laughs> and I am running for president. <laughs> and then he's like, "My name is whatever his name is," and he's like, "And I am president." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, he's he's like, uh, it, it really is a, a beautiful speech and everything, mm-hmm. and everybody just trickles in to watch it and everything. And he's like, you know, if you want to have a debate about character, don't go after my girl. Come after me because she's out of your league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Man, like he, you, you get fired up with that speech. Yeah, but it's so crazy because he uses this press conference to basically be a political commercial. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now this movie does something really interesting, I think, and that's play with the idea of a single president. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And how would the country react to that president dating Mm -hmm. to? The first time his date sleeps over in the mm. White House and how much would they pry into her private life? And and we've never had that in the modern media era. There's probably a president that was single back before I was born. Um, how would we react? Yeah. I think it would be a lot well, like what happens in this movie. Isn't it kind of like Richard Dreyfuss' character can't go after him? In his first term, because his wife, his, had died. Yeah. his wife had died, and now it's like all fair game. Right, right, right. I, I love that line, too, where he's... Uh, they, he's talking about sex and nervousness and he's talking about how like none of the first wife first ladies uh, in the history of the white house ever were, were nervous about having sex with their president husbands because they knew them before they were presidents and it's like and now you know you you are you know me only as the president so let's get it on already you know it's a great subplot of him just bound and determined to to buy roses for her yeah. on his own. <laughs> yeah. But he like calls the rose shop and they don't believe it's him. And he just has all these mishaps and eventually ends up going there physically and walking in and shocking <laughs> the hell out of the rose shop workers. I really like this movie a lot. It t- you can tell for sure this movie came out and somebody said, we should make a TV series yeah. out of this. Because all of the characters are there. They're being played by different actors. Mm-hmm. Martin Sheen just slides from the you know, advisor role into the president role with ease, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would watch it right now. Yeah. What's interesting to me about the it, it, that final scene is, you know, when Annette Bening comes in, she's like, I was in the neighborhood or whatever, and they hug and, you know, start to kiss. And like his whole staff comes in and they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then they, <laughs> they start to brief him. And then another one comes, Michael J. Fox. Comes, hey, how's it going? And they, like, <laughs> yeah. they just walk in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. It. It's like there's no need to hide it. <laughs> You're hey, still the fucking president. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, another one of the big uh, political movies is The Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. Uh, the Frank Sinatra 1962 movie. John Frankenheimer directed. Oh, yeah. Um, it is... Uh, it is a scary-ass movie. <laughs> it it's is. It's almost a horror movie. It's almost a horror movie because uh, it's basically it's basically like taking your red scare that's going back in the 50s and 60s and everything and saying, ooh, here is something that is really like evil lurking beneath the surface that you didn't know. Angela Lansbury in this movie is fucking evil. She's evil, right? She is absolutely the most evil fucking person. I think I've ever, one of the f- most evil people I've ever seen in a movie That's because crazy. she's she's nice on the outside. This is very political theater. Yeah, yeah. Very nice on the outside. Knows how to make the appearance and everything. Behind closed doors is the person who's pulling all the strings. Yeah, she's she's pulling every string, right? Like even 
It, it wasn't there a part where he he tries to get back with his girlfriend or something yeah, like that? Yeah, that that now this is the part that's really fucking like just d- disgusting in this yeah. movie. Okay, the guy. Uh, okay, so first off, you have Lawrence Harvey, who's the who's the guy who plays Shaw, who's like the uh, son of Angela Lansbury. Mm. Frank Sinatra plays the guy who kind of like gets out of un- under his hypnotized spell basically and learns what's going on and knows he is like the 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 main he's going to be the guy that he's they're trying to control and everything mm-hmm. um there is a story that shaw tells where he says he said he's because sh- he's shown to be a like horror like a hard person to get to like mm-hmm. he's very he's a loner he's kind of like he doesn't have i mean he's very stern all this type of stuff but he tells this story about how he uh, met this this woman and <laughs> girl that he meets is gorgeous, oh, by yeah. the way. This is as happy as he's ever been. And his but the problem is she's the daughter of a senator that she doesn't that Angela Lansbury doesn't like. Mm-hmm. And he basically tells him, you can't continue dating this girl. He's going to marry this girl, all this other type of stuff. And everything's perfect. And he has to send like a letter to her saying, you know, apparently it says vile, disgusting letter, which probably means like a whole bunch of like. (laughs) And um, so like uh, so like, yeah, she she makes him not date this girl anymore and everything. And then and then she she's got like even more like sinister uh, things involved with all this. How is she mixed up with all this? The Manchurian candidate is basically they, you know, they went to Korea they uh they get captured by russians basically and the russians send them to manchuria some place in china or whatever and they do this like um this like experiment on them You're brainwashing it's right? brainwashing and it's an mm-hmm. and it's a, an incredible scene because they're all sitting there like all these soldiers frank sinatra Lawrence harvey all these guys are just kind of sitting there sitting in this room just kind of like they look listless and not interested in anything have no affect whatsoever they uh there's all these people in in manchuria it's like a it's like one of those surgery thing like those uh where they're doing surgery and there's like an audience and all other type mm-hmm. of stuff all these all these guys are watching the, them down there but in their minds they think it's like a woman talking about a book club or whatever <laughs> so it cuts back and forth between like actual korean um they they keep cutting back and forth between them so this is how this this process works and all this other type of stuff and then like uh uh, and when it comes back to their perspective, that you know, comes back to their perspective. Oh, it's just a lady talking about her book club or whatever. And <laughs> this is. Uh, and but- so when they they're brainwashing them not to necessarily kill somebody, but to to have a trigger to do whatever somebody says to do. Right? Basically, anything that they tell them to do with the with, and it's like the Queen of Diamonds is their yeah, is their yeah. trigger. So if they they play solitaire or whatever, I don't know what compels them to play solitaire <laughs> or whatever. There's something that compels them to play it. Anytime the Queen of Diamonds shows up, they are then susceptible to anything. Like the, there's even a part where they're just randomly at a bar. Lawrence Harvey pulls out a deck of cards, and it, and the Queen of Diamonds shows up, and the guy the bartender just ha- just she just says something like why don't you get he's talking he's telling a story to some other people in the bar and it's like i told that guy why don't you get in a cab and jump in the lake and you see lawrence harvey get up and start walking out and he jumps in the lake (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the the whole thing is is about political assassination it's about the russians infiltrating america and trying to uh trying to get communism into into the country and everything through angela lansbury basically and uh 
and it's just a frightening movie. It's mm. horrifying mm. in in so many ways. Not to say that this type of stuff <laughs> could happen or does happen, <laughs> but it is something to chew on and yeah. think about, and it's entertaining and everything. So, Definitely, yeah. Anyway, that movie is is really good. It's uh, it, it it didn't get, I mean, a lot of Oscar love. Angela Lansbury very deservedly got a nomination for mm-hmm. it. I feel like Frank Sinatra probably could have, and Lawrence ah, Harvey he's, probably. He's great. Frank Sinatra has a way better movie career than yes, we're giving does. two Oscar nominations for yeah. this guy. One for The Man of the Golden Arm, which is a it. You would never think that a movie from the 50s would discuss heroin overdoses mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. That one did and in the way that it could in the 50s and everything, you know. And for you ministry fans, just one fix. That's where, that, <laughs> that's where all that comes. All uh, you ministry fans. Yeah. yeah they could go along with the Rucker Hauer uh, fan <laughs> club. and in <laughs> They're in there somewhere. But, but he uh, was great in like Guys and Dolls. He was in the original Ocean's Eleven, right? Yeah, he was in the original Ocean's Eleven. He won the Oscar for From Here to Eternity. Oh, yeah. Supporting yeah, yeah. actor uh-huh. and that, um, but uh, but yeah, he he's really good in this, and I think he's had an un- he probably today has an underrated acting know, resume yeah. and everything. But uh, anyway, what else? I'd like to talk about Dave, even though we yeah. have before. Um, I think this is the best political comedy ever. Yeah, um, I just it's just so fucking charming. Uh, I I find myself smiling awkwardly the entire time I'm watching it, like I'm a goofy little kid. Um, <laughs> but Kevin Klein, this is maybe my favorite Kevin Klein performance or role ever. Um, and we again, I don't want to go into everything, but he's guy who plays a, a lookalike of the real president. The real president has a medical emergency. They hire the lookalike to stand in and then find him hard to control as they go throughout. Uh, fantastic movie. Check it out if you have not. Frank Langella is in that, right? Is, yeah. Is one of the he's basically the villain. The the handlers, and he was Nixon in Frost Nixon, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It so wasn't. I mean, he's he's connected to these. Just seems perfect for that that type of role. Yeah. And dated Whoopi Goldberg for a while. Yeah, he did. Oh, wow. I think That's Dan right. Hedaya has played Nixon a couple of times. Too. He did in Dick. He did yeah. in Dick. Yeah. yeah. That's a fun movie. Well, the crazy thing is, I, I think I wrote on that email that Richard Nixon could have his own category. Right? Yeah, he really <laughs> could. So many, and actually, it's strange. Because there's Nixon, the the Anthony Hopkins one, uh, Frost Nixon, Nixon Dick, all the presidents men, the Fog of War is is about yeah, it came the out Errol last Morris year. one, yeah, yeah, uh, and uh, there's there's something called the assassination of Richard Nixon, yeah, too, which uh, Sean Penn was in, yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean that obviously I guess if you're the only president that has resigned, you know, in modern history, then you get a lot of stuff, and you know he was raped for uh, parody and for. For more investigation, more ways than one, but uh, it's just interesting to me that he was—he's such a fascinating. Of course, JFK, right around that era, was was a huge interest in in American presidents. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and and that's one of my favorite movies of all time is All the President's Men. Mm-hmm. Another one I've read the book on, and I've I've watched the movie a thousand times and everything. Um, it is so riveting how they. This is just one of those type of genres that I just love. I mean, forget about that. It's a true story and all this other type of stuff. But um, I just find it fascinating how they collect their information all the way through this. The story about uh, basically the story of Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they don't get anybody who really wants to talk and they have to find out. They have to figure out basically tricks to figure out how to get people to say something on the record and everything. They've got, you know, they've got to find, they got to find those like outer edges first and then move their way in. And, um, 
I, I love how they get the one woman who's given them a little bit of information before and they and they've they've decided that like what i'll do is i'll say p stands for porter and you know you uh and you say no no we already know that p is this or whatever and then and then then so they do that whole thing we already know p is porter like we, what we're trying to find out is this and and she goes who told you about Porter? And, it's like, <laughs> and, and you're sitting there going, you did, you told them about Porter. You know, I, I, it's one of those, uh, I just, I just love that so much how they do that. And, um, and of course, uh, deep throat in this is, is Hal Holbrook uh-huh. and like, uh, one of his better, one of his great performances too. Along with Fletch too. Yeah. Along with Fletch too. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's, um, uh, pretty fantastic in this, and I just love how they just you know they go go and find the, all this information. It's almost impossible. as much a movie about investigative journalism as it is politics, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, that's what's always fascinated me about it is mm-hmm. is that kind of angle. Because I I was born in seventy five, so I really missed all the Nixon stuff when it was happening in real life. Um, so I wasn't exactly drawn to watch a political scandal movie, but. This is the way they went about getting, like you said, getting all the information and how they had to do it and how resourceful they were. Uh, there's a reason Woodward and Bernstein names are like holy names in the world of journalism. So. Well, and just the fact that, you know, that nobody believed the story for a really long time. They were printing this stuff that wasn't going on the front page. Yeah. And then finally they had to get those breaks. And when they get they get those breaks, it's so exhilarating and everything. Um, if you haven't ever seen All the President's Men... I suggest go and watch that. Why don't they make more movies? I mean, it's so weird that you don't think of like journalists as being, especially like all the mon- the mundane sure. type of stuff. But it seems like when they make it right, like this or Zodiac, Zodiac or yeah. Spotlight, like they, they tend to knock it out of the park mm-hmm. if they have good stories. I wish they would make more of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I or mean, the it's... paper with Michael Keaton. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Totally. You were talking about the candidate uh, just recently. Yeah. Um, for whatever, like I used to when used, when blockbusters existed, uh-huh. I used to walk past this cover of Robert Redford and a and a bubble being blown out <laughs> of his mouth, and I thought, oh, okay, this is this must be some funny political comedy, and it's not a drama really. I mean, it's not a comedy either, um, but it's about it's a it's it's kind of a, a unique way of of going about an election. This is. Um, Peter Boyle plays this guy who um, who is like a campaign advisor or whatever, and he wants to get the son of this former California governor to run against the Republican uh, incumbent. And uh, the Democrats uh, don't want to run against him because they know it's a sure loss and everything like that. So he picks, uh, he gets Robert Redford uh, to play this guy, to, you know, to, to be a, basically fodder for this republican nominee but i i I never quite got what the point was because there is a point where they say they says it says here you're gonna you're gonna lose by a landslide it was like isn't that the point we're gonna lose and they and he and he's like well no you'll be you'll be devastated in this one you'll you'll you know i guess the point is is to get a democratic face out there and then maybe run him some other time or whatever but i never really got that on my first viewing but it's funny, like he's 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 very idealistic, and he talks about what he wants to talk about at first, and you find out that nobody really wants to listen to to that type of stuff. They want like the dumbed down uh, type of like they want all these different phrases and yeah. and all this other stuff. 
um, the guy that the guy is running with these ads that are just very straightforward and hey, I'm a man of the people and all this other type of stuff. So the so Redford is trying to do all this stuff the right way or whatever. And he's not, I mean, he's, he, you see him at a rally or whatever rally quote unquote, where there's like five people out in the audience and everything. <laughs> and uh, he's having a hard time communicating to people. And then finally, when he starts doing those little, like, you know, dumbed down things, he starts to get <laughs> higher up in the polls and everything. And, and, um, there's a point where he says like, you know, he's talking about the watershed. He's t- there's like fires going on in in uh, the, these California, you know, woods or something like that. And he's talking about like, we need to do this. Our Senator, uh, has never voted for a watershed or whatever, but when then the senator comes flying in on a helicopter and says, "We're going to start voting for a watershed," you know that type of, you know, so it's like uh, it's it's stuff like that, and then and then the, there's a point where Redford's like, "I I really would like to debate you sometime," and the Republican guy's like, "I don't blame you one bit," and he, <laughs> he, 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 he walks over, but he finally gets once he starts ri- rising in the polls, he starts getting he gets finally gets his debate or whatever. And uh, that's where, you know, uh, his campaign takes another sort of a turn or whatever. It has a, it has a, I mean, I don't think, um, I don't think it's really spoiling it to tell you that he won, he mm. wins this election and they don't, they, they, at the end, he and Peter Boyle are in the room and he, and, and Redford's like, so what now? <laughs> <laughs> and the credits roll. <laughs> that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, that was a that was a fascinating uh, movie. Um, but uh, yeah, liked it. You want to move to questions? Yeah, we can go to we questions. Probably do that. Let's do it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. So the first one uh, comes from from our subreddit. Uh, it's an interesting question that I think we all were kind of engaged in. What are your favorite quote cult movies? It's a weird question because a lot of cult movies fall into a variety of styles and genres. Another question is, what does it take for a movie to have cult status? Um, so basically, I guess we can kind of reverse that and start with what makes a movie a cult movie. You know what? This is a very interesting thing because I the first thing I did was I was trying to get some inspiration for this question. And I went to Wikipedia and they have a cult movies entry in mm-hmm. there. And the movies they entered were absurd as far as cult classics are concerned citizen kane is in there what and i was like no wikipedia like i mean i can (laughs) i can see under some weird definition like it didn't do great in theaters and it's become a classic but so many people love citizen kane now that what's the cult here yeah the cult to me means it's a small but rabid fan base there you go and uh, and you know they they mentioned uh, uh, this question mentions what we do in the shadows right uh-huh, uh-huh. which is uh, uh by the way I recommend watching that movie it's pretty yeah, funny it's, really it's the yeah. Jermaine Clement, Jermaine Clement uh, yeah yeah the vampire, vampire movie, movie. Yeah. yeah it's uh it's really fun and and uh and 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 that's a pretty good place to start because it didn't do anything in theaters mm-hmm. but most of the people that you run into that have seen this movie swear by it it's it's pretty pretty great yeah. you know. Um, so that's what I would, I would define as cult. So you, you know, it didn't do anything in theaters. It found life, but it didn't find so much life 
that it's it became a franchise yeah. or well, something Austin later. Powers is the good example. Right, right, right. It was originally a cult classic because uh. it didn't do shit. Nobody saw it. And then on video for two or three years, it blew up. Yeah. But then it blew up so far <laughs> that it like set box office records when the sequel came out. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> no longer a cult classic. That right. does not apply. Right. And and by the same token, on the other end of it, I'm, I'm when we were emailing back and forth about this. I love Zero Effect, and mm-hmm. I love The Quick and the Dead, but I uh, don't haven't run into very many people other than me who have really, really enjoyed And I've run into people who like it, obviously, but it's not been like everywhere I go, I run into people who love Zero Effect and Quick and the Dead. So where's the cult there? There's no cult. There's just a few people. Yeah. Um. So, um, so... Jeremy, what's yours? Well, my my initial response when I look at the criteria that I think we all kind of generally settled on was Locke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of a, a movie that I don't know a single person who's seen it that hasn't raved about it and tried to get others to watch it. <laughs> but I still don't know very many people that have seen it. Yeah. Um, like, to the point where usually I'm saying that's a movie, not a character from Lost, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I would define that as a cult uh, classic. Yeah. yeah. Like very small audience, but everyone well, I know and, that's seen it is rabid. And about the question it. is, cult movie, so it doesn't have to be a classic well, by any know. means. Um, yeah, that that was the one. That's I thought a great of first. pick. Yeah, it is a great pick because exactly as soon as you said that you liked Locke, Barrett and I both watched it the, that very night. I think. Yeah, and um and both enjoyed it I've very seen it much three times yeah. since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's that type of movie. I like your idea of the small and rabid fan base, and my favorite is has a very small fan base, but mm. a very rabid fan base. It's a movie called SLC Punk. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I didn't talk about this in 1998. I wish I had. It's it's a very strange movie. It's about a couple of like anarchists. Matthew Lillard is one of them. Uh, and uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Michael Gorjon. Uh, and Jason Siegel is in this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and they're out in Utah, and they're anarchists and punks. And they dress the part and everything. And Matthew Lillard, you know, breaks the fourth wall and talks about how punk inspires people and it's an aesthetic and it's a whole lifestyle and all that stuff. And, oh, man, it's it's so good. It got I got introduced to it by a couple of friends of mine that my idea of a cult is called classic, not a cult, is uh, somebody bringing over like a DVD or a videotape or that kind of mm-hmm. thing, and getting you into it. And that's exactly what happened to me. And now I've watched this movie 10 to 12 times and. Man, it's great. And everybody I've showed it to thinks it's great, too. Uh, I guess not everybody's into movies about anarchy and uh, Mormonism in Utah in the Reagan days. <laughs> but I really haven't sold it. But it's really good. I've, I've, <laughs> I've never seen this. I remember it coming out and everything. And it came out around the time, like, there was all these movies coming out with, like, initials, like SFW and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, and I was just like, well, that's part of a whole gang of movies that I'm not going to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, this is definitely worth seeing. I'll have to take they're a look at in, that. They're out in uh, Salt Lake City and a weird place to be a punk in the 80s. I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw another out there. Is that okay? Yeah. Primer. Okay, oh, I haven't seen yeah, this yeah. one. I've is heard it's good. I watched it once. Movie? I need to watch it four more times to understand it. Uh Almost no one you know in your life has seen this movie, but the reason I bring it up is that if you go on to Reddit R Movies, anytime there's a best time travel movie discussion, whether that's the topic or just breaks out in the comments, these Primer fans are fucking angry that you have not watched this movie and fallen in love with it as much as they have. And his most recent movie, I think this is the same guy that made Upstream Color, um, I think his name's Shane Carruth, oh. mm-hmm. Um 
And Upstream Color, I read a description about it and wanted to vomit. Like, it doesn't <laughs> sound like a movie. It sounds like two hours of some weird, trippy art experience. But his his fans are just rabid about it. Well, I rabid. will say this, Primer fans. Uh, if, if you did get a whole bunch of people who watched it and loved it, then you're no longer a part of the cult right. anymore. Right. So, <laughs> so be proud of that. the fact that you've watched it and enjoyed it and it doesn't seem like anybody else does yeah. because it's... They may not last it's very like long. It's like loving a band and then they make it big yeah. and you're like, oh, it's not as cool anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I'm i going to pick one that sort of skirts what I just said about becoming franchise and everything, and that's Army of Darkness. Uh, um, because it's the third yeah, I was of say, the- it's already part of one. It's the third of the Evil Dead series and everything, but I remember watching this uh, in theaters just before I got a job at a movie theater and everything. And uh, and I I had I had not even seen the other two Evil Deads. I don't think I even knew. Oh really? I don't think even Evil I knew what Evil Dead was when this came out. And I watched it, and I was just like, I love this. You know, I love how this movie is doing its thing. Uh I don't know what it is because I'm 16. (laughs) I don't know what I love this thing that's going on here in front of me. It's very funny and entertaining to me. But but yeah. As much as there's probably a huge cult of people who love I- Evil Dead, mm-hmm. but I you can't just go out onto the street and find tons of Army of Darkness fans or whatever. It's, yeah, it is a very you know it's a smaller group of people. This isn't like Austin Powers or anything, but I would say it's probably on the bigger end of the cult. I got yeah. it. I got it. I got your damn words. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I'll throw one more out since we all did. Um, my dinner with Andre is not what you would consider like a really entertaining premise of two guys sitting down talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory, yep. uh, who had a discount version play uh, in <laughs> Angels and Demons. Yes. Um, I thought it was him so much. <laughs> I was like, oh, they got Andre Gregory for this. Shit. But man, they're talking about life and love and definitions of uh, societal norms and things like that. And it's riveting, man. If you just put it on... Don't drink too much. Don't do any drugs or anything like that. Just pay attention. And it's it's cool, it's, man. It's conversation that you rarely ever hear. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a life lived that is completely different from what you hear from anybody else talking yeah. about. <laughs> this guy is like talking about going out into the woods and like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and being with these people and what their philosophies are and how they live their life and all this sort of stuff. And he goes on forever about these things, but you are entranced yeah, by it. Man. You know? The, the script is so good. Like they double back, they talk conversationally and they listen conversationally which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it's really, really interesting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. We got time for another question? Yeah, let's do one more. Okay. All right, so what are the best non-dialogue moments in movies? Now, there's a lot to choose from. Um, I What immediately comes to mind for me is the first 15 minutes of There Will Be Blood. Mm, yes. uh, that movie drew me in immediately, and I didn't even realize that it was dialogue-free, with a couple of exceptions, yeah. uh, for the first 15 minutes. And I would minutes. think that I think that it qualifies because it's not two people sitting back and forth talking. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, like background fodder. So I mean, just everything that Paul Thomas Anderson sets into motion, the performance from Daniel Day-Lewis, it, it was immediately locked into that movie i immediately thought of no country for old men which um, actually came filmed out. in the same uh universe what 
There was there was a time I was reading about this. There was a set piece for There Will Be Blood where the Derek goes up, uh, and and there's a big like smoke uh, thing and everything. And they were so- filming in the desert close by to where No Country for Old yeah. Men was, and the plume of smoke from There Will Be Blood showed up in the No Country for Old Men real and they had to close down for the day that's amazing <laughs> yeah that's, that's pretty amazing awesome. yeah. i had no idea those two yeah. movies are so great and they were uh, shooting yeah. that close to each other yeah. Yeah. jesus well yeah. there's a lot of great non-dialogue it's basically the, the the reason i love this movie is that you're watching this guy make all these choices and decisions and take these actions and he doesn't have anybody around him he needs to talk to in most cases he's doing them silently but the one that stood out to me the most was the the hotel assault slash chase slash gun battle where uh sugar like blows yeah, off his hotel uh, thing and it hits him fantastic. in the chest fantastic and then they're not talking nobody's talking they're just running for their lives and trying to kill the other dude and i'm just just riveted and a lesser movie is gonna fill that with all kinds of unnecessary dialogue that's interesting to me because i wouldn't have even thought of that it just seems like it does have there's so much going on that you don't even realize that there's no dialogue right in yeah it. right you don't need any of it at all because all you see is him in his room he sees the shadow of, oh you know God. cigar going across there then the light goes out <laughs> and then you just hear like you know yeah and um and so it, it's it's a uh, it's yeah, that's that's an amazing. I'm glad you guys uh, came up with those two. Like those were, those two movies, uh, you know, have so many similarities. Came out the same year, shot in the same place, yeah. filmed by great directors. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm gonna go with the Mission Impossible. I can go with a lot of Mission Impossible. Yeah, here. which one? <laughs> yeah, um, really, like you could go with. I'm gonna go with all of them here. You could go with the CIA hack, mm-hmm. which is the best. Of, I think it's probably the best of all those yeah. no, non-dialogue. I left moments. it off my list because I thought you were going to say it. Yeah, I mean, you, could, you that that one is as riveting as action scenes get, and it's and it's amazing. Now, Jeremy and his emails and everything brought up the one in Ghost Protocol, which is oh, amazing, yeah. <laughs> where they have the screen that's showing the the hallway, and it's like <laughs> broadcasting that image and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, there's also one in Rogue Nation where they're going through the opera house and everything. Yeah. The opera house, especially by the time Cruz decides he's going to shoot that guy in the shoulder and everything. And, and you know, again, it's one of those things. You see what he sees. He does something that un- that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> And you are exhilarated yeah, yeah. because of it. You didn't want to sit there and go, if I shoot this guy in the shoulder or you <laughs> right. know, some, or some bullshit, you know, uh, you know, that, that, you know, was going on or whatever. But Mission Impossible is filled with those. Yeah. And, uh, so all good stuff. Yeah. I thought you were going to bring up Mission Impossible 2 where it's the silent dove. Oh, yeah. That are, they're flying Mission around. Impossible 2, known for its silence. <laughs> it's a <laughs> very subdued film. Very subdued. Okay, last one. The main characters of the last three movies you've watched are now your apocalypse team. Who has the best team? See, this question is hilarious just because of the way it forces you to answer with what you've seen recently. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to result in some kookiness. Uh, for mm. a while, I thought I had this guy nailed because the last three movies I've seen were... Uh, <laughs> the Martian, uh. Born Ultimatum, and then this weird Paul Giamatti film in 2011 that I'd never even heard of until it came on Showtime the other day called Win Win. Good yeah, stuff. Yeah. Another great performance. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, it was, I was really entertained by that film. Um, Do you have Double Damon? 
Yeah, so I got two versions of Damon in my Apocalypse Squad. <laughs> ass to ass. One that is one that is an ass beating spy, right? And one that will science the shit out of the situation, <laughs> yeah. get me through it. And then I have this pudgy, embezzling, <laughs> slacker lawyer, wrestling coach who pisses off everyone in his life by the end of this movie. He turns it around somewhat, uh, and he's going to slow me down. He's going to be a problem for me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if my team is going to be able to compete with your guys' teams. Wow. I've, I don't know. I've got a pretty uh, pretty wild team. So <laughs> uh, I watched The Shallows. Yeah. Oh, wow. Blake Lively. Now, I feel, that's an underrated pick, actually, because she is able to survive on She's this a badass. rock for a while. She's a medical student mm-hmm. that ends up you know, becoming a doctor. Uh, she goes toe-to-toe with a shark. Yep. A big, huge shark. So I feel all right about Blake Lively and uh, you know her weird, porny shots that are all over her yeah. body throughout that movie. Yeah. Uh, so I've got The Shallows. Also watched Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which Ooh. does not put me in a good position because no. No. Uh, Jim Carrey's Joel character is... Just the saddest fucking sack. Yes, he is. He's no good to anybody, <laughs> apocalypse or otherwise. He's yeah. not going to help you. I mean, if it's the lead character, maybe I could take like Mark Ruffalo's hipster character and he could do something for me because he's, he's super intelligent. Yeah. Uh, and the the last movie that I watched was uh, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so I'm pretty much fucked. <laughs> Well, we'll decide whether you're fucked or not. I guess you're kind of fucked. Yeah, you're fucked. You lose. Yeah, you're fucked. Uh, although mine, like, really isn't aren't much better. Um, I um okay. So for this podcast, I watched The Candidate. Oh, yeah, that was the last movie I watched. So you have Redford as like this lawyer turned into a hopeful political <laughs> candidate and everything, senator of California uh maybe peter boyle in there who's doing like you know great campaign stuff in there and you know not really like a not lot useful of, in an apocalypse not a lot of badasses of, of apocalypse in here um again yeah, once the apocalypse happens who gives a shit about politics right <laughs> um I, and then i also be, uh because uh jeremy recommended it it was equilibrium i saw oh, that yeah. now oh, in equilibrium good. there's some badasses christian bale has a moment at the beginning of this movie that's like it's like the best part of the movie yeah it's it like, really is he's in the dark he's shooting and it's like all these it looks like freeze frames almost but it's like different angles of him just blowing away all these people in the dark and everything nice it's really cool and like that you find out later like like how they do that like it's some sort of kung fu yeah gun maneuvering nice. type of thing that they're all doing which they probably all get destroyed by bruce lee and within five seconds <laughs> in the move in the movie they seem amazing right um but yeah equilibrium um it'd be it'd be bail there but then the other one i saw because of our uh um modern horrors uh syncastia a couple weeks ago as landmine goes click <laughs> there's nobody who's a badass in this and they're basically living in an apocalyptic world at maybe this point. you could use the landmine no oh couldn't unfortunately and no. if you watch the movie you'll no. understand why i can't use the landmine all right but like um but yeah like that movie's got uh, characters who are reprehensible and <laughs> and uh and do who somewhat nice on the surface not really survivors in any way oh so yeah really i only have bail and that's it well (laughs) this question just proves that we don't watch movies based on you know apocalyptic thoughts but it's a very interesting question (laughs) it's a super interesting question i watched like 
you know, World War Z and like, you know, just, fucking, yeah, just watching <laughs> Hulk over and over again. X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we, we've all watched that. Yeah. All right. Well, and uh, keep on going to SoundCloud and telling us how we're doing. We're enjoying reading those comments. Had a ton of comments on the last two episodes. And that's fantastic. Yeah. We want we want as many comments as possible to tell us how we're doing and everything. So, like, you know, if we're doing shitty, you don't let us, you know, be shitty. We've got to be better. we got to be good. You gotta, you, don't let us be shitty. Don't let us be shitty. you gotta, you got to say some shit about that. You know, like, look, you guys are being kind of shitty this week. I need you to stop being shitty. <laughs> um there it is jeremy fucking it up again no i'm just kidding um and uh we'll be uh and tell us what we're doing right too as well i mean yeah sure i mean we don't want to hear just negative things but we want to hear some positive things Mm. too mostly positive things Mm. anyway that's the sincast for this week chris agnes and jeremy scott and barrett share we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Saying that every other religious movie that's come out after that has tried to emulate it, just hasn't been nearly successful. Yeah, they gotta stop casting Kirk Cameron in those things. Yeah, <laughs> they need a racist director. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They do. That's the one thing that's been missing. Yeah, <laughs> out of all this, what was this? A mercy fuck? <laughs> well, it's weird because in that same article, it's either him or Bad Robot is saying that they want to put a new Cloverfield universe movie out every year. Yeah, fucking stupid. <laughs> it's fucking stupid that they're going to give us a Star Wars movie every year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to run it into the ground. Exactly. I, lo- I love how they say, well, you won't live long enough to see the last Star Wars movie, which probably not. <laughs> probably you. Probably won't, but I don't think it means ex- what you think it means where it, where you're going to come out with one every year and we're going to be excited about it 35 years from now. Yeah. I think it's Bobby that does the music video scenes, right? Like, when I do those way more than when I do the main channel videos, I talk to him. <laughs> like, because it seems like, and this is not an issue, this is, I'm telling you the story for jokes, but, like, every music video sin script has at least one sin where there's a, wor- a word missing or an extra word in there. Like, two sins got combined, and in the copy-paste, something lingered that shouldn't have or something. Uh-huh. And so every week I'll get to a sin like that, I'll be like, these goddamn scripts, and I'll just go <laughs> off for, like, 30 seconds, and or I'll talk to, I'll, like, I'll open one up and say, oh, I've never heard of this band. I guess I'm too old. Or I guess <laughs> Somebody, Bobby, probably is spending a good portion of their week listening to me bitch and complain. Believe me, uh, the number of times I've gone into <laughs> Frankenstein audio into a into a thing, I've heard you bitching about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I, like a lot of times it'll be like, it'll be like, you'll be like, I didn't write this line. So you guys just know that I didn't write it. I'm like, fuck you, you didn't write it. I didn't. I don't say it for that reason. I say it because I don't know what it means or I don't know how to emphasize the words in the sin. Yeah, because I'm sitting there going, what does it fucking matter? Say it, you fucking donkey. Uh, a lot of times I'll say, like, I didn't write any of these sins or I didn't write on this one. So apologies in advance for all the fuck ups I'm going to do as I read through this. 
but I'm never meaning that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that at all. Everything I did now. like the one you gave me where you were like, Jeremy, you can pronounce this however you want because it's not a real word. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that in. Oh, did you? Yeah. Because it was noto slicing. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. It was on the, um, what, oh, the, uh, the purge, purge anarchy yeah. or, or election year script because Barrett suggested a, an Ikea name. And I went ahead and put it in the script, and I said, by the way, not a real word. You can say this however you want. I said it noodle slicing. Perfect. They would, I would get all these forums that were just like, all you do is you press alt, shift, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, yeah. that's not fucking working. There's always a macro for these things. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. A combination of six keys pressed down at once. Right, right, right. Just press your head on the keyboard. <laughs> gently yeah, rest it, your finger it, it'll know it'll know <laughs> you, you've seen those commercials where it's like let me hear you say truck yeah oh god maybe i mean are they trying to get across that they want to say fuck yeah I but so. they're gonna say truck yeah oh yeah because that's that's something that rednecks like to hear probably <laughs> They you think they actually have it very like, clever to some rednecks? <laughs> they actually hey, are gonna say fuck, but it says truck. Speaking of sideways, there's that great moment where they're walking off the golf course and cussing like sailors, and there's that other golfer who's like, "Hey, you can, got kids here or whatever." <laughs> <laughs> I like that thing where he goes, "What, he, what did they hit into the?" Yeah, the they guys, were playing slow, and he hit into it. He's like, He turns into a monster for a second. The Pearl Jam Unplugged was overrated. I don't think I've ever seen it. Really? So that's looked upon by a lot of people like it's it's the shit. Like that's the top MTV Unplugged of all time. I thought Nirvana was. No. I mean, around some circles, I guess it is. But the the Pearl Jam one, and this happened a lot with, with people. It sounds like a regular show because like, you've got the full drums and everything and it's all loud and everybody's just shouting basically. And like every once in a while when like, the drum part goes down. You can hear like an acoustic guitar in the background. That's the only thing that says this is an unplugged performance. Yeah, the Nirvana one I think is special because it's so acoustic. It's so, oh, it's so the opposite oh, of yeah. their normal sound. It never done anything like that before. Yeah. One of my favorite subreddits is uh, TIFU. Today I fucked up, and it's pe- people telling stories about fuck ups. And uh, one I read yesterday was a guy. The title of it was Today I fucked up. By singing Rape Me along with my MP3 when I thought I was alone in the gym or something no! like that. <laughs> wow. Oh, shit. Fuck. Joy. You have man boobs. <laughs> You've got a dirty, whorish mouth, is what you have. Freedom isn't free. It calls folks like you and me. How's that for a slice of fried gold? <laughs> <laughs>